Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of King of Pro Wrestling Podcast. Paul and I are here to break down wrestling Dantaku, hit some news and notes. We got a couple of special announcements, including a special giveaway. We're going to get to details of that later. And always, uh, we're going to hit those classic matches that we talked about last time around as well. Um, got uh, a little bit of good feedback uh, this week. But uh, yeah, we're just gonna we're just gonna dive right in. Paul, how you doing? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Man, it has been a long ass week. I'm not gonna lie, but it's been a good one. I got to finish it up with uh, with wrestling Dantaku. Okay, so it can't all be bad. No, I thought this week flew by. I don't know, like where people in the, are listening, but I know like in the East Coast in the United States, the weather has been so nice this week. Like we didn't have a spring. We went yeah, right from no. winter, and it seemed like we jumped right into summer. Like we opened our pool up, and we were, we were swimming on Tuesday. So it was, that's it's, awesome. Oh, it's it's life is so much better when the weather's nice. But yeah. you're right; there was a lot of wrestling to watch this weekend, which is a good. You know, it's it's a little bit of a labor of love at times, but it is well worth, it, especially when you're watching New Japan wrestling because it's so well done. Yeah, no joke, no joke. I know Chicago has been the same way too. I feel like we just got like this past week. Unfortunately, we had a lot of rain. And we had some crazy weather. Like one day it was like seventy, and the next day it was forty. So it's like yeah, whatever. But the past two days have been great. So the only complain. the only knock I have about the weather is for people like me that have seasonal allergies. Not yeah. having a spring was brutal because it seemed like everything in the world must have bloomed at once. Yeah. So it's been a little tough. So if you hear me during this and my voice is a little off or I have the sniffles a touch, I'm trying to hide it. But that's what it is. It's my allergies kicking in. But I'll yeah. gladly take it for warm weather because the last week I've swam four times and been golfing. So I'll take the, the sniffles. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Um, so let's start off actually uh, talking about a future event. Uh, let's talk about the G1 special at the Cow Palace. Um, so the the big news that's been going around is basically the ticket sales didn't seem quite as strong, uh, I guess, as the... American audience thought that they would be or should be because I've heard a lot of people between Reddit and even Dave Meltzer, who I normally agree with on everything, kind of, you know, rending their garments and getting very worried that, you know, they've only sold 4,000 tickets. Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. And uh, I got to be honest with you, I don't know how you're feeling about it, but for me, I'm just sort of like, cool it, guys. It's okay. It's going to be fine. Yeah, I agree with you. I think if you read a lot of those articles, though, it wasn't even that people were in a panic. It just seemed that the initial ticket sales undersold what New Japan had hoped for. So I think that's where the where the, the discussion came in. If New Japan hadn't had any kind of prediction as to what they were going to open with on the first day, I think most people's idea would be, hey, the ticket's been on sale one day. You sold almost 4000 That's without announcing a single name announcing the card you know i think it's going to be fine i mean the the thing about it too is this is going to be the third basic show that they've run in the u.s in less than 12 months because the g1 when did the g1 in america show run last year i think it was a little bit later right yeah uh i want to say it was in july uh, june july well i mean this one's going to be in july july 7th oh this is true but i mean the announcement i mean you're basically asking people for the third time in in 12 months to buy tickets for something right 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 you know, I mean, because you just had, you had the G1 last year, if I'm not mistaken, especially in the United States, was two nights. Yes, Because right, they had the tournament. Yep. Then you just ran the show at the Walter Pyramid not that long ago, and that was, you know, that that was a bigger arena that they had done for the initial G1 special. So now they're stepping up another one. Um, listen, I mean, it's hard in a way. You run a lot of shows the size, like an arena's that big. A lot of times WWE doesn't sell 10,000 seats. You know, you, right. you can go to a, a Raw or SmackDown taping, and if you're ever there, a lot of times the side opposite, or I'm sorry, the side on the same side as the hard camera is tarped off. Yeah. Now, 
I, I'm not saying that's going to happen. I firmly believe as the event draws closer, you're going to have more and more seats sold. But I, in a funny, kind of ironic way, I do think one thing that's kind of hurting New Japan Show is All In. Um, I, I, only in the sense that I don't think it's hurting their business, and I think in a lot of ways it's actually going to be good, especially for a lot of their talent. But it's a little bit tough because the people are geared up for the All In. And I know somebody like me, who's on a limited budget, um, I would not be able to travel to two shows. Yeah. So... Like, I can barely afford to travel to one, and the only reason I can travel to one is because you live in the city and I'm staying with you in right. Chicago. But if I had to pick, uh, like, I'm, I'm already going to All In, so even if I wanted to, I wouldn't have the money to go to another show. So I, heard, I think that could hurt it a little tiny bit, but I, I think people just need to put on the brakes and relax and see where their numbers are in a month from now. Yeah, you know, exactly. They can turn around and sell a couple hundred seats a day, and at the end of the next month, they could be sitting there at eight, 9,000 seats sold. And right. I think, you know... Well, I mean, and the thing is, is it's like, I, I guess because there were a lot of people just kind of being like, oh, it's bad. You know, I'm not necessarily, it was, you know, the Titanic is sinking level, but there were just a lot of people talking about how bad it was. You know, Meltzer even wrote like reality somewhat hit, you know, in the, in the header of his article. And it's just kind of like, you know, I look, I love Big Dave. I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of his, but at the same time, I just kind of think like, I, you know, I don't know that this is something to, to be too concerned about. I, I think that basically after dominion and they're able to really set the card and i understand the concerns about travel and people having to arrange travel on short notice and that sort of thing but i just think that after the card gets set it's going to be very difficult for people to say oh i'm not going to that show and i think that you're right i think there are a lot of people that are making the choice between all in and between the g1 special and that's fine I don't think in the long run it's going to have a negative impact on New Japan at all. I think that perhaps it will measure and temper their uh, uh, ambitions towards potentially running you know, a house this big in the near future. But at the same time, I think that it's smart for them to go and take that risk. And even if, look, even if they only end up selling like 7,000 tickets. It's more than to, they did at the Walter Pyramid. Exactly. So for anybody to call it a failure, I think it's, it's crazy. And here's uh, the thing, too, Sam. Like I was saying, like some people are going to make the decision they can only travel to one show. I don't think in the long run that's really going to hurt the show. Mm -mm. I just think it hurts with the initial ticket sales because you're talking about the people that are the quote-unquote diehards that really, really want to go and are going to plan an event around it, maybe not be able to swing both. And then I think you're right. I think they're going to get enough people as it gets closer and closer, that live in the San Francisco metro area yeah. that are going to fill out that arena. You know, and there's, there's a couple ways to look at it. Like, you know, you, not to use a, it's a bad analogy, but, you know, you take movies, for example. You know, you put out the Justice, they put out Justice League movie, and it, doesn't, it didn't do that great compared to Marvel's movie. Right. But it still made, like, a billion dollars. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so at some point you have to temper, and I think it was just that people are judging this on their own their expectations. How do you judge the, the the attendance for a show until the show comes and we know how full the arena is? Yeah, and like you said, I mean, the other big thing is we don't even have a card yet. Now, I think that I think that you and I are going to be able to make some guesses later on in the show about what we think that card might look like, especially with who who might be on top. But we'll save that and for later. And if I think we're right about some of those, I don't think they're going to have any problems selling no, the show. Absolutely not. Absolutely we'll, we'll get not. To that. Yeah. Um, you know, other news and notes there. To be honest with you, I, you know, I was saying this to you before we started, I don't feel like there's a ton of stuff just because most of the news that I feel like we have is born out of the shows. So I'd rather just talk about them in the context um, uh, of the shows yeah. themselves. I do want to mention one thing. Of um, course. And every episode you hear 
us, especially, I, I usually chime in with this. I talk about um, our buddy Wilford's blog at www.njpw-us.com. Well, we are kind of working with him now a little bit. So I just want to say it's another way for people to get our show um, is if you go right to his website at www.njpw-us.com. We're, we're not even listed under a link anymore. We're right on the page. We're basically like the de facto podcast for that blog now, and yeah. um, which is good. And a lot of times, like if you download our shows – in the show notes, we'll have links right to his page. We're kind of working together, but I just wanted to say, you know, obviously thank him for doing it, but I wanted to put it out there because it's, it's another place to download our show that's almost like a little bit of a home base, off the, not counting iTunes and that. It's like an actual website you can go to now that we're on, besides our yeah. own. Right, right, right. No, which is great. I mean, you know, it, it's been great working with him. And uh, again, I encourage people to check out his blog. I, I feel like, he, you know, he's pretty incisive and, and usually those things come, you know, they're quick, compact uh, articles that he writes. Uh, and it, that, yeah, you know, it, I, yeah, I just think it's a great way I, to, to and, engage and the, with the more product. sites, the more sites that we can be on that you, uh, easier, like to download our show the better, but it's even nice because it's a website now dedicated to the topic we're on. So hopefully we pick up a lot of people that just bounce over there to read an article about new Japan might see it. So, you know, and, um, and since he's doing that for us, if you don't go to his site, but you listen to our show, definitely go over and check it out. If for no other reason, just to see if your opinions are the same as his, you might disagree, might agree, but it's, it's just, you know, another way to engage with us and with uh, another new Japan wrestling fan. Yeah. Yeah, um, so a couple of quick hits. There is actually going to be a New Japan-related show in the U.S. before that G1 special on June 29th as a part of the uh, CEO Gaming Convention, which I I guess Kenny Omega is a big part of. Um, So they're going to be running a uh, a wrestling show. Um, I guess it's a little strange just because uh, a lot of the key talent, you know, have commitments elsewhere. But some of the talent that's been announced for the show uh, are uh, Kenny Omega, obviously, and Kota Ibushi. Uh, Jeff Cobb's going to be there. Tamatanga, Tangaloa, Chase Owens, Rocky Romero, Shoyo, uh, Taguchi, Dragon Lee, Tak- uh, Hiromu Takahashi, uh, and Juice Robinson. Um, so, you know, that could be a, a fun opportunity for people. And they announced where that show Beach is, area. Daytona Beach. Yeah. Well, that's good. At least, you know. Yeah. Now, a different location. It's, it's funny because at that same time, though, uh, Okada, Ishii, and and most of Suzuki Goon are going to be in England uh, for the Rev Pro shows. So it, you know they, they don't necessarily have like a full New Japan roster or whatever, but uh, opportunity I think for people to see some key talent from New Japan. Um, New Japan you know, also. Uh, I was just saying, let me ask you one question, and it's unrelated to that, but it peaked, it made me remember something. We were talking about the Cow Palace show, correct? Mm-hmm. What do you think? And, and this is just me. If they were going to run another big show in the U.S. this soon after Walter, the Walter Pyramid show, um, do you think they made a mistake in where they had it? Do you think they should have came to the East Coast? I, I, I asked that uh, question because here's here's how I look at it twofold. First of all, they keep going to the West part of the West Coast, and I get yeah. that. But if they ran a big show in, say, the New York metro area, there's a lot of people that live on the East Coast of this country, maybe don't have the funds to get all the way out to San Francisco or, or to Long Beach, but maybe could get, I mean, if you think of if they host a show in, say, New York, yeah. or the New York area, yeah. how many wrestling fans are there that live within a three-hour drive? Look, there's no doubt in my mind. That, that that they, that, and these are the same people that probably couldn't get to California, so they'd right. be more energetic to go, I think. 
I, I so I think that that it's 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 a weird issue because on one hand I think that there's no doubt that they could sell out like a place like the Hammerstein Ballroom or they could you know sell out a, a number of locations um, based on the fact that when they ran shows the you know co-produced the shows with Ring of Honor and they were doing shows out on the East Coast those shows were always packed to the gills I think that the Ring of Honor show here in Chicago in October that I went to is a perfect example of that I mean. they've got, you know, the drawing power. There's no doubt. I think that a lot of people that are sort of like, oh, what about people that are traveling? Look, there's no doubt that there are people who are traveling to see All In in San Francisco, or All In, the G1 special in San Francisco. But I think that you hit the nail on the head that there's a larger concentration of the population in a smaller area in the Northeast, for instance, that if they ran a show in Boston or New York or Philadelphia, that they would be able to sell more tickets in a quicker manner than they would with the show out in San Francisco. And I get why they're doing it. It's easier for them. The travel's a little less arduous. And I totally understand that, but no, I think you're absolutely right. If they ran on the East Coast, they would probably sell, they, they would have sold out, maybe not day of if they were running as large of a building, but they would have sold out. Well, you figure, say they were going to run a show somewhere in New Jersey, like out, right outside, maybe somewhere in the Newark area or whatever, right? How many people live in, in New Jersey, Newark, Philly, Boston, Baltimore, D.C. that could drive... Yeah. Plus, plus too, like, and you have a lot of people I understand that live in the West Coast, but these are people, almost all of them, probably couldn't get to, to the G1 special, either one of them. So right. you have a whole portion of the country where you have more, uh, like you said, way more people per capita that yeah. are probably dying to go to one of these events. But I, I just throw that out. I, I'm not saying it's a mistake. They know what they're doing. But if no. they're going to run a, if, I, I would think it would be smart if they turn around and run another special next year that it might be worth the risk and worth the effort to come and run it on the East Coast. Look, and I don't say this because I live in Chicago, but there's a reason why Cody and the Bucks picked Chicago. Do you know what I mean? Like they picked this area because they knew that that the you know the central location, the number of diehard fans that are that live in the area anyway. I mean, there's a reason why they picked Chicago over any other city. And, and and why they're going to handily sell out the Sears Center when it comes time. Um, so. I don't know about you, but like I now I live in Pennsylvania, but and so maybe I'm biased. If I look and I think wrestling cities, the first two that pop to my mind in no particular order are Philly and Chicago. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like so, I don't know. And you could have ran a show, but we'll see. I, I do think New Japan is going to have to if they want if they're serious about the U.S. expansion and they're serious about running shows here, they're going to have to venture off the, the West Coast. Soon yeah. enough, but we'll see yeah. how it works out. I, I just think, think so. it would have been a prime time to do it because it was so close on the heels of the last show. They could have said, "Okay, we're coming back soon, but we're going to the other part of the country now." But no, we'll I, see. I, it's just it's I think the it's a really good pick, point. But... Um, so I'm and, sorry, and I threw you right off topic. No, 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 no it's totally. That's my fine. job on this show is just to <laughs> let Sam make show notes and come up with the format and then destroy them 15 minutes into the show. No, man, it's uh, the, it's good. It was a good discussion. Uh, uh, another thing that I wanted to mention real quick that I thought was interesting is that uh, talking about expansion, uh, New Japan actually signed a deal um, with a cable channel in France. Um, they're going to have a, a weekly program on Saturdays now, um, uh, which I think is, is is big for them. You know, I mean, yeah, that's uh, huge. Yeah, you know, I mean, they've got now they're they're penetrating the market in a lot of different ways uh, internationally, and 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 picking up you know a station in France certainly can't be. 
uh, a bad thing. No, and um, I don't know what their TV situation is like, say, in the UK, for example, but they have to have a pretty decent fan base. I mean, you have guys like uh, Suzuki and Zach uh, and uh, Ishii all holding Rev Pro belts or having held Rev Pro belts. You know, yeah. like so they have a little bit of a footprint there already. I mean, the more places they can get on TV worldwide, the better. Let's yeah. face it, it's a product that we, we love, so... I'd love to see them be huge everywhere. Just it's better for the product. It's better for the wrestlers. You know, the more places they get in, the more money they make, the more the salaries go up, the more the company can reinvest. So absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, the other thing too, going, you know, not to hammer it to death, but the other thing about the G1 special is that regardless of whether or not they sell that building out, I think that people need to keep in mind that these are just continual step forward. And while we would we would love to see them have the success of a sellout and have that event be, you know, packed to the gills, that ultimately the fact that they, that they are going to they, there's no doubt in my mind they are going to sell more tickets than they have ever sold on US soil before and that is still a step forward and as long as they keep making those steps forward i mean that global expansion that global reach that they have is going to keep growing and that's only good for the fans in the end i still think and i could be wrong i still think as we get closer i think it's going to be sold out or pretty close to yeah, well, I think you're going to see a lot of people get tickets close, like, like a lot of people that live locally in San Francisco scoop up tickets close to the end. That's just yeah. my guess. No, I think you could be right. I really do. I really do. You know, the interesting thing is, is on the contrast, is that business, you know, for, for the Road to Tour has been pretty strong. I mean, we know that the um, uh, the Corkin Hall shows were... You know, they seem to be running those shows a lot, and so I feel like it's natural that you're going to see, you know, like that first night that we saw, the crowd wasn't that strong, but then the next night they were packed. And it's just, it's one of those things where if you run the same town over and over and over again, people aren't going to come out as much. Now, you're probably going to be making a little bit more money because rather than, you know, running one sold-out night, now you're running three nights where you've got one night sold out and two nights that are sort of, eh. You know, at the end of the day, you're still making money. So uh, it's like you watch those those couple of shows um, from Corcoon Hall where it was like, oh, they're, you know, they're not really packing them in tonight. But, I mean, again, it's just an, it, it's another show. It's another, uh, you know, opportunity to make money. Do I think that they should keep doing that and oversaturating the market? No, I don't. But I, I don't think, again, that it's anything to be worried about because the rest of the tour... The rest of the tour, you know, had super strong sales. Um, I, I don't know I just that the think, crowds were always hot, but... Well, know, here's whatever. the thing, too. I don't know how they they, they judge, like, the, the gates at the, and how they do that. But if they're going to run these tours like this, with that, I don't think they need to televise that many shows. Yeah. You know what I mean? I would, Even if they want to yeah. run them as house shows for the gates, it just seemed like... And, and, like, you know what? I don't mind watching a lot of wrestling, but it, like we said last time, it was a lot of repeat wrestling. Like, I can only see Rapungi 3K versus Taka, oh. Tai Chi, and Iska so many times. But, but I mean, we, we already hammered that point home. But, it, it, like, and not just because it's a podcast and we have to cover this stuff, but I almost feel like when they put an event on New Japan World that I want to watch it. And then sometimes, yeah. I, like, when you watch all these Road 2 shows, you're like, I could have done without watching that or whatever. But, you know, and I, I'm not saying it from, a, from just having the events because I don't know. They might make a lot of money on the gates and it might be worth it for them. But... You know, and, and they're taking it to different places. Like, who am I? You know, I might have seen it four nights in a row in New Japan World, but if they run the match the next night in a, in a hall that, you know, who, the, the live audience might not have seen it. You know what I mean? It's, it's right. big for them. So, it's like house shows in the U.S. Like, you know, the WWE doesn't feel the need to broadcast every single house show on their network. Right, right, exactly. God, but, thank, thank but God. I mean, that's whatever. 
Um, but the no, good news I, is, Sam, the Road 2 shows are over. They are indeed over. They are indeed over. And before we get to talking about the Dantaku shows, just a couple of quick things. One, um, we are super excited. Uh, we will... We're pumped! Yeah, be, I mean, it's it's been kind of an amazing week uh, in spite of, of how long it has felt at times because work has been crazy for me. But we are super thrilled, super excited. We will be at StarCast uh, for All In Weekend. It's going to be amazing. If you go to Why don't you explain what StarCast is? Sure. Uh, so StarCast at you know, www. Now, now that we're insiders, and I'm using air quotes, <laughs> You know, we can throw out the terminology, but, you know, I, I didn't even know exactly what it was at first. Yeah, so StarCast is going to be a, a convention in, in conjunction with All In. Uh, it's going to begin the Thursday evening before All In and run through the Sunday afternoon after All In. Uh, and there will be live podcasts for a number of of big shows for folks that you, you know the names of, you know, whether it's somebody like... And if you want to go on um, www.starcast.com, and that's with two R's, S-T-A-R-R-C-A-S-T, um, you can look and it'll tell you who's announced. Um, we we don't know, we're not allowed to say it's certain like certain things, so whatever they put on their website is obviously official at that point. We don't want to, you know, venture outside of our realm, but you can see who they have listed, and if you keep checking, I'm sure they'll update it, but there are names that you know. Yeah, yeah, but 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 uh, but no. I mean, we have already made the commitment. We we will be there. We're going to be there for all in. We're going to be there that whole time. Uh, if you're going to be there, let us know. We would obviously love to you know to see well, or chat with and, any and listeners. When we say we will be there at Starcast, we will be doing more than just walking around as fans. Yeah. Yeah, we, we're going to have the opportunity to do some cool stuff. So we're really looking forward to that. We'll, we'll obviously be telling yeah. you more about that as we go on. We don't want to say too much right now. Uh, we can't say too say much right too, now. Yeah, we can't say too much right now. But let me just say one thing. Um, you know, we just started this podcast not that long ago. And not counting the bonus episodes that we did, this is really only, what, our fifth episode? Yeah. Um, we, every episode we've put out, more and more people have listened to. More and, pe- more and more people have engaged with us on different topics or sent, you know, match selections in. The only reason that we're in a position where we, A, can do this and, B, feel comfortable doing this is because of the people that listen to the show. You know, we, we didn't try to, like, do this. To, like, say we're taking over the wrestling world. We just wanted to have fun. But it's been amazing to us how many people have gravitated and they're listening. And, you know, we hope it keeps going up for no other reason than it's more wrestling fans that, that you know, to engage with not only us, but we want people, fans of the show to engage with each other. But um, if we didn't have people listening or people getting excited about this or and talking to us about it, we wouldn't feel comfortable doing this. Yeah, no, without that. So we we just, yeah, we want to thank you for your continued support. And if you like the show now, wait to see some of the things that are coming. Like you said, we can't talk about it. We'll have more information as it leads up to the event. But, you know, and if you're in the Chicago area or you're going to be in the Chicago area for All In, if you want to come to StarCast, all I can tell you is we will be there. We will be there a lot. And we would love to, you know, we're going to be doing some broadcasting. If you're a fan, you walk up, grab a mic, let's talk. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll, we'll, and, we'll get to that, but and, just and get so you know. this. Here's something to add to that. You know, it, it, we're not talking about just a couple of hours here or there. 
On, on, on Friday, the show is open from 10 a.m. until midnight. On Saturday, 10 a.m. until midnight. Now, obviously, you're going to have all in that night as well. Sunday, it's open 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. So, I mean, we're literally talking, like, uh, you know, upwards of about 40 hours in four days of, of, of just, you know, wrestling fans, podcasters, uh, talent. I mean, all sorts of folks are going to be at this thing. It's, it's, it's just a wonderful opportunity if you're going to be in Chicago, if you are in Chicago, to engage w- with, uh, I, I mean, honestly, when it comes down to it, some of the most well-known personalities in the business. Uh, and, and obviously there's going to be a lot of New Japan-related content that's going on there as well because you're going to have people like Okada and Omega at All In. And I am, I am almost positive that we're going Listen, to get more talent yeah. announced. Uh, and I can tell you, you know, just from the StarCast, like, without saying a single name, if you go on their website right now mm-hmm. and click under Superstars, it, you'd be surprised who's already announced. Let, you know, yeah. I'd rather you just see it there. But um, and like I said, we'll be doing shows right from there. We're going to be, you know, it's going to be an, it's an exciting time for our podcast. It is, put it, and, put it that and it's way. an exciting time for our listeners because we are going to do our very first giveaway on yes. this episode, so stay tuned. We will give the full details coming later, um, but uh, one of our lucky listeners will be the recipient of a special prize from the King of Pro Wrestling podcast, yeah. um, so we're thrilled to be able it's to a, do it's, that it's as It's well. a monumental, earth-shattering prize. <laughs> no, I mean, it's not, but it's, it's something, and you know, if you listen to the show at the end, we're going to tell you how you can win it. And it's yeah. um yeah, it's it's not overly complicated. No, so no, really not at all. all. Not at so, all. Uh, so yeah, so let's uh let's uh dive right in and get to uh wrestling Dantaku night one. Okay. Um, Paul, me, why I'll, don't you fire us up here? Yeah, and you get because we also made predictions, so uh, oh, Sam we has did. them. And we'll and, see and how awful just, we did. Yeah, let's yeah. just let's just be honest here. They were not great. <laughs> well, we had a couple things. We definitely we had did. a couple things. We did. And, we hit some and we hit the big stuff. One thing in particular we hit a big stuff, yeah. yeah. Okay, so the first night of wrestling Dantaku was Thursday, May third. And so basically, it was like early Friday morning on the U.S. in the uh, in the U.S. So um, I don't know about you, Sam. Like I I can't watch these shows live because I have work. No. But I, so he, I've been tempted a couple of times to you know, especially if it's like on a Saturday, I've been tempted to do it. But but mostly I just watch it first thing when well, I get up. In you the know, it, if it's on a weekend or even non work related, it's just with the kids having three kids and a wife. It's almost impossible because I can't sleep all day. Sure. But um, yeah. I, I definitely think I might do it for Dominion. And or Wrestle Kingdom, but we'll see. Yeah. So a lot. My I'm goal like a lot is definitely you, to do it for Wrestle Kingdom. I have a feeling a lot of the, our listeners do the same thing. They go to work. They do whatever. Like this was on Thursday night, early Friday morning. So I went to work, got home from work Friday, and fired it up. Mm-hmm. So you know that's why a lot of times too, if you follow us on Twitter, we don't tweet a lot of as it's actually happening. Yeah. Because a we haven't seen it, so a lot of times we ourselves stay off social media until we do see it. Right. Because nothing's worse than getting it ruined. Exactly. Which we're going to so talk about like night two when we get there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. But night right, one. So these both shows, by the way, were at the Fukuoka Convention Center. So the first match was a 20-minute time limit match. You had two young lions, and Yota Tsuji and Shoto Umino versus Chase Owens. My boy Chase is on the case. And Yujiro <laughs> Takahashi. And before we even mention uh, a single match, this was cool. I don't know, and obviously anybody who saw the two nights, the the kimonos or robes, whatever you want to call oh, them, yeah. like the Bullet for Club the was wearing year. for the 50th, 50th anniversary, they were pretty neat. And if um, 
I paused it during the first match when Chase turns around. They have the names of every Bullet Club member past and present on them because I noticed awesome. like Adam's Cole, Adam Cole's name was on there yeah. and stuff like that. So that was a nice touch. I don't know if the wrestlers did that or New Japan did that, but it was a nice touch. And it actually played played into a little story later on. Cody was mad about it at night too. Yeah, but, yeah, which right, is so, hilarious. Did you did you see the picture he tweeted where he like superimposed his head on no. Kenny's? Oh, dude, no, you know was... why? Because to be honest, for, for full disclosure, I didn't finish night two until earlier today, which is. Saturday, right, right. On the, and we'll get to why I didn't. But um, so I was basically off social media for the last two days, and and I have to admit it was kind of liberating in one way. It kind of sucked because I wanted to like I, I like going on our Twitter page when people you know I have to like uh, God knows how many tweets to catch up on now. But um, I didn't go on <laughs> because I didn't want anything ruined, and thank God I didn't. Yeah, you know. And and how about I sat down today to watch, and my son who. Didn't even watch it, but is on social media like crazy. Yelled down to me. Did you see what happened? I had to shut him up quick. <laughs> shut him up real quick. But um, you had your standard opening match here. It went five minutes, thirty-two seconds. You knew that the uh, the young lion team was going to eat a pinfall. Um, Chase delivered a package pile driver to shoot to shoot. I'm sorry, show to Umino. Um, I think we called it right. Away. We thought Suji was going to get hit right. We did, yeah. We thought Suji was going to take the fall. And, you know, here's the thing. I would have been surprised about this because I feel like Umino is is, is primed to be one of the standouts of, of his particular class, if you will. But uh, it made sense that he took the fall mainly because he got to do a lot in the match. Yeah. And I thought he just, he, he looked great. And, and, and it was it was awesome because at one point, you know, you knew that he wasn't going to win, but he took it to Chase so hard that it just it, it was it was gratifying to see as a fan of his. So. I, I thought Suji looked good for for his limited experience, but I even put down that I, in my notes that Umino seems to be improving in every every match. Like yeah. I don't know, I have my doubts as to how much longer he's going to be around before he goes on excursion. Yeah, because I think he's getting to the point, especially with the stuff he's doing with Nagata. I think they're gearing him up to to, to go out on excursion soon. Um, but it was like your, your typical match. Uh, Umino hit a double leg drop kick. At one point, they went for a Boston Crab. Um, I do like when whenever Chase is in a match, I like when he hits the jewel heist. I like that move. <laughs> Super kick. You know, Yujiro didn't do a whole lot in this match. It was basically Chase. But um, then he hit, you know, 5 minutes, 32 seconds. There's not a whole lot to go over. He hit the package pile driver. And when he hit that, I mean, they could count to 100. Yeah. So oh, yeah. that's how you get the three count. And I mean, unless you have anything to add on that, that's basically the first match. Nope. No, I don't. Okay. I, I, yeah, we're good. Second <laughs> match was Ren Narita, Tomoyuki Oka, who I, anybody who listens knows I love Oka, and yeah. Yuji Nagata took on the team of Taguchi, Tiger Mask, and Jushin Thunder Liger. The match went 7 minutes, 12 seconds long, and it ended when Taguchi hit the Dodon on Ren Narita. So get this. We both predicted that Narita would indeed take the fall. You predicted yeah. that Liger would And you would predicted bring it. Tiger Master, and, right? No, I predicted Taguchi. Oh, so, you bastard. I know, I know. Well, you but, know. But we're a team on this podcast, so we'll say that we got it right. We That's right. We did this. <laughs> um, it was a pretty based stuff. Oka and Liger started. I just love, yeah. I think part of the reason I like Oka, I mean, all the young lines in ring work for what they do is pretty good. It's he solid. looked great. Like, yeah. early on, um, like, the, there was some great stuff he did, like, against Liger, and I, yeah, I th- I think, you know, Oka is definitely right there with Umino as far as being a standout right now. I mean, he, yeah, I he's agree. great. I, I do like Renarita, too. I think he's improving. I think they're all getting better. But the thing yeah. that, for me, and I think the reason I like Oka is I think he separates a little bit. First of all, he has a, has a different look than the rest of them. Yes. And the one thing I love about him is his his 
the way he yells and just his mannerisms and his facial expressions, like he always looks miserable when he when he looks like he's like when he's selling a move, he looks like he's in pain. Yeah, I just yeah. think he has a lot of little stuff worked out. Yeah, um, it's and there weird, was a part you know, he, there where he, Tiger Mask was just kicking the ever living shit out of him too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh God, man! At one point too, there was this moment where like uh, Taguchi was um, mocking Yuji Nagata, and it was just sort of like, oh, oh, Taguchi, what are you doing? And Nagata just made it pay. Like Nagata oh, yeah, kicked, the, kicked shit the shit out of him. Out of him. I have, a, I have a, <laughs> right on. It said Yuji Nagata killed Tiger Mask. Yeah, it was oh. he, and he broke up the hold. Yeah, because he had the hold on Oka. You know, right? And then, and, and then the best is then he smacked Oka. Yeah. Yeah, oh, trying to fire him up. And, and you that's know what? a nice little a nice little touch of the show too is this was and I don't know why they haven't done it previous. They had a translator with Kevin Kelly and um, yes. Don Cows. Now, granted, it wasn't the world's greatest translations, and they weren't coming in rapid fire. But small stuff like when he did that, like when he yelled at him, the yep. translator was to, to say, "No, he's just trying to fire him up or something." Yeah. That was a nice little touch. It really was. It, yeah, I, I loved it, and I, it I thought that in, it, uh, the second night it came in a lot more useful when some people got the mic and talked. Yeah, but it was helpful because even if you're not getting exact what's going on, he's at least giving you enough of an idea so you, you can follow along. Like it's not like you have to like be blind to it, then wait two days to watch the the translated part. He right, at least keeps you in those. So that, they should keep that up. That's a smart move on their part. Totally agree. Um, yeah. So then. Um, Tiger Mask did a real nice tiger bomb onto Yuji Nagata. I don't know if you, you know. Yeah, yeah, he and did. Then, and then, then you have your, your basic young lion spot where Yuji, uh, Yuji Nagata is in complete control and Ren yep. Narita starts begging for the tag, screaming yeah. and begging. And I love how you can tell, like, how he sells it. Nagata doesn't want to give it to him. He's getting the crowd in, so he finally gives it to him. And then, like, it, it didn't go too well because the next note I have is Dodo, Dodon on, on Red. Yeah, you know. It's funny because for a minute there, it was like they, there was a sort of a triple team um, on, on Taguchi, but it, yeah, it didn't last long, obviously. And, and uh, after Tiger Mask made the save, yeah. Boom, but you know what? They over. do do a really good job in these matches because you know what's going to happen. And a lot of a lot of times, I catch myself sitting there saying, "Are they really going to let a young lion get a win here?" Like right. they do just <laughs> enough to put enough doubt in your mind because sooner or later, one's going to happen out of the blue, just right. to throw everybody off, but. But yeah, that was well, pretty much. I mean, it was it was a good seven minutes and twelve seconds. It was a fun match. Yeah. I always like. First of all, didn't overstay its welcome. I could watch Yuji Nagata all day, and yeah. anytime you got oh. Jushin Thunder Liger in a match, I mean, what more can you really ask for, especially for a second match on the card? Yeah. Okay. Now, speaking of what more you can ask for, and Fukuoka loves him, so you know. Yeah. But I just oh, said, God. what more can you ask for? Well, I can Please ask don't. for a lot more than the next match. Um, all I'm going to say about this match is that Rapongi 3K. Once again, had to go up against Suzuki Gun. Now the uh, Suzuki Gun. The only difference is, it, instead of being Taka, Tai Chi, and Azuka or Iska, however you want to say that, it was Iska with DB Boy Smith and Lance Archer, which made it even more brutal. Now the whole thing only lasted two minutes and four seconds, and uh, they actually Rapongi 3K got the win. They got a schoolboy pin on and. Azuka, I don't know. How do you say that? Azuka or Iska? Because I've heard it both ways. I've heard it both ways too, but I'm pretty sure the correct the correct pronunciation is Azuka. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's not much to hear here. My actual notes are: I hate Azuka. Yeah. This, the the highlight of the match was when <laughs> it wasn't even in the match. It's when Lance Archer came out and he did his water spots all over. Yeah. And Kevin Kelly called and said it in here here in Japan. It's called water sports. Oh, and God. Don Callis made a crack about it being Golden Week and needing a shower. 
<laughs> I don't know if you caught that. No, I, I, I missed it, unfortunately. Yeah, he made a golden shower joke on NJPW. Uh, like, man. Well, but, I, I, have to, I, have to just, I have to tell you real quick what my notes were. I, literally, nothing match, brawl out of the ring, bazooka biting, tiger warning, show rolling up. And that was yeah. all I wrote. <laughs> I, I, I basically, after the joke, I have uh, Suzuki going, lays waves to 3K, Azuka won't stop biting everything. Show rolls up Azuka, Azuka, please get to the next match. Thank God that was short. Yeah. And yeah. then and then the, the best part was our, uh, Lance Archer choke, show, choke slam the new young boy. What's his name? Yuminora? Yeah, yeah. So, at least we got that. I don't think we need to say anything more about that match, do you? No, no. Moving on. Okay. Now we got into this match. It's 40 minute or fourth match, 20 minute time limit. You had the team of Toa Hanari, Michael Elgin, Togi Makabe, David Finley, and Juice Robinson took on the chaos team of Yoshihashi, Toru Yano, Tomohiro Ishii, Jay White, and Hiroki Goto. Um, yes. This match was How better cool. than I thought, even though I'd seen it a whole bunch of times, basically, on the Road 2s. I right. liked it. But how cool was it? One thing that I took note of, and, and, and I just thought, man, that's such wonderful storytelling. And even though it makes sense for a couple of reasons even beyond the storytelling, that Jay White gets a separate entrance from the rest of Chaos, yeah. helping to sort of further that divide. You know, and there were a couple of spots in this match, and especially well, on the second night, night when, he, when he wouldn't do the pose yeah. with Yoshi and Goto. And then it looked like he was going to do it, and he, like, but and I don't like they. Like, he's in chaos, but they treat him like he's kind of not in chaos, which is good because he's half in, half out. You know what I mean? Right, right. Um, I did like that this match started with Gel, uh, Go, Hiroki Goto and Elgin. I like The more I see them together, the more I like where that's heading. Totally. They, um, yeah, they, they mesh really well together. And, and sometimes, like, I bang on people on this show, and I don't mean to. Like, I always like ripping on Hanari, and, and i usually not the world's biggest fan of Hiroki Goto. But I gotta be honest with you, Godo's starting to grow on me. Oh man! Okay, so look, I'll be honest. And it's not that he's not a bad wrestler. I understand what he's a good wrestler, but he's it's his character. Yeah. More than anything, has always come across a little bland to me. But I it comes and goes with me. Like there have been times when Godo has been has legit been one of my favorite wrestlers, and then there are times when it's just sort of like he falls off my radar, and I'm just sort of like, oh, I like Godo. But there are times when he has absolutely been like. That's the guy whose T-shirt I'm going to wear today. You know what I mean? Like, that guy is my guy. But uh, I, I understand what you're saying. There, there's definitely been recently here, you know, where it's been like, oh, yeah, okay, Goto, you know, whatever. But, but no, I agree. These interactions with Elgin have been great. The match with Juice is great. I mean, there's been, there's been some really great stuff that he's done lately. One thing, though, that I wanted to say real quick was um, Hanare. Uh, 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 Going back to Hanare. Somebody posted a thread on Reddit talking about Hanare being the next Okada. Now, before you die laughing, I have to say that he was very passionate well, you about know it the wasn't fact, me. No, yeah. That Hanari had all the tools, and that Hanari, mark his words, was going to be the biggest thing. Man, I don't know if I laughed harder at that, or if I laughed harder at Titus's slide under the ring at the Greatest Royal Rumble, because... All I'm gonna say in no this guy's defense... No fucking way well, does Hanari... Well, I'm gonna say in this guy's defense. Oh, Alright? I all right. agree. But I don't know how many people, when Okada was on excursion acting as the Green Hornet sidekick in TNA, thought what he was going to become. Now, do I think Hanari? No. Sure. Um, if you were to tell me that, it, like, Finley or Juice, even that I think is a long shot because, you know, they're not Japanese. But I would say, okay, I can at least see, you know. Right. I, I think out of the, the people in this match, the one with the brightest future in that company is probably Jay White. 
Yeah, man, he is. Especially the, the thing. way they build him, he's growing on me. Yeah, I, like, I was a little tepid on him, honestly. There was this part where, we, especially after he like came out, he lost the match against Tanahashi, and I was just sort of like, okay. And then well, he beats I thought Omega. That was bad like, ah. I thought that was a bad spot to put him in. Yeah, like, they brought him back, and I understand they wanted to give him a high profile match on Wrestle Kingdom. But when they did that, it seemed like like, and I know this sounds silly because what do I care? But like he skipped to the front of the line, kind of. But it was just like they tried to give him too much too soon. But now that he's settled in, especially in this in this like little feud he has going with Finley and Juice and those guys, like it's it's great and it makes yeah. the under undercard like the, the part of the matches like the, or the show awesome. Yeah, like, I'm gonna be honest. Some of the times I care more about that stuff than I do some of the stuff at the end of the card. The well, he's presenting it and his presence. I mean, his presence has grown a lot, and it's clear that you know the crowds do. I don't want to say love him, um, but they love to hate him. Uh, they react to him. He's getting the crowd him. reaction. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I, I think that not only has he grown on me, but I also see him as a worthy holder of the U.S. title. And I, I think that while <laughs> I still would say that the U.S. title had a higher profile when it was around Kenny Omega's waist, I think that in some ways... But that's not Jay White's fault. no. You know what I mean? That's an unfair... I know what you're saying, and you're absolutely right. But that's like taking the, a brand-new belt and putting... Like, if you all of a sudden... Let's just say Okada lost the title, and then they put the U.S. title on Okada. Well, that's instantly going to elevate it over what Jay White did, and that's not Jay White's fault. Right. But I know what you're saying. I, I But, like, to me, Jay White as the U.S. champ now, as opposed to two or three months ago, is in a much better place. The belt's in a much better place. And he's... like, And, you know, his ring work has always been good. Oh, yeah. It wasn't his ring work, but it seems like maybe he's just more comfortable in his character now. Yeah. Dude, I love, I mean, let's face it, I loved his match with Paige at the, at the, um, uh, Strong Style Evolved. I loved his match, uh, with Finley. I, I still think, I know some people are high on Goto and Juice, and that's great, but I still think that the Finley, uh, Jay White match has been the, you know, up until, you know, night two of yeah. Dantaku has, was the best match, best title match, best singles match of the entire, uh, tour, so you know, I, I I I think he's doing great, and and I think that the other thing is that it's made me very excited for what's next from him. Um, and but I not think just from him. Like if you look at him and Finley and Juice and these yeah. younger guys, I was just like, there's that. like, yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you up, but like, I get, I'm I'm uh, for, this is one of those things I'm getting excited about with these mm-hmm. guys. And you know, like getting back to the Goto thing for me too. Like I'm I'm lumping him in that group. Yeah, like, I, I I don't know what clicked all of a sudden between me and Goto. Because he hasn't changed all that much. But, like, you know, this is going to sound like the dumbest thing in the world, but I, I picked up this book um, of the bookstore. I was re- I started reading about the history of samurais and stuff. Yeah. And, and like, I look at him, he kind of embellished, like, that's the kind of guy he is. Like, he's just yeah. this warrior, and he's not overly chatty, and he's a man of honor and everything. But, like, for some reason, it's starting to work for me. And I love the match he had. Like, I, I wasn't huge on him. And then Wrestle Kingdom, I thought the match he had with Suzuki was great. Yeah. And then I think he's been doing good ever since. He's grown on me. So, you know, if you're listening to the show, Toa Hanari, there's, there's, there's still room for you to grow in my heart. Like, you can still impress me because these are guys I weren't yes. big on and, and now I am. You know what? And here's the thing. I would be happy to eat my words on saying that there's no way in hell Hanari ever gets to, you know, Okada level. Um, but but I'm sorry. I, well, no, no, I don't know no. if anybody can get to Okada level. Well, but I, don't, right, I mean, exactly. I don't. I don't. But see that's Toe what Hanari this guy was saying. This guy was like, Hanari is the next Okada, and it's like, no, 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 he's not. No, I'm there's sorry. probably no next Okada. Just exactly. like there's no next Tanahashi. He is what he is. But yeah. I mean, even to make the argument, do you, do we believe at any point Tohanari is ever going to be the IWGP champion? No. 
Either do I. All right. Next All right. match. Moving on. <laughs> All right. The next match was was a and the next match was a fun little match too. Yeah, um, it was. We had a never open weight six man tag champ uh, championship match with the sixteen championship team from the Bullet Club of Tongaloa, Tamatonga, and Bad Luck Fale defending the belts against Marty Scroll and the Young Bucks. The um, the match went twelve minutes and five seconds, which is kind of which was nice. It was longer than I thought it was going to go. To be honest, because sometimes those six man matches are like pinball, you know what I mean, and then it's yeah. over. But it ended with, and I love anytime you get to see more bang for your buck, is always a plus. Yeah. Here's a question for you. Do you think that based off of the performance that we saw in this match and then what we would see on night two, do you think they're moving o- away from Matt's back injury angle? Because that was a huge yes. thing for a while. Yeah, me too. And I think they're smart now. Yeah. You can't have this, you know what I mean? Because you don't need it anymore. It, he's selling it since January 4th. We're now into May. And it's one of those things that if you ever want to come back to it, at any match, he can just get hit in the back and re-aggravate the injury. Right. So I, I, I liked it, you know what I mean? Because it was it a good thing to do for a while, but it ran its course. You know what I mean? Yeah. You didn't want to keep coming back to it. But for um, sure. I thought this match was, was fun. Like, you know, it was, it was cool the way they started it with Fale and Marty. <laughs> Marty does a great job of being a funny character, and then when he goes to tag, and they all jump away, they jump away. Yeah. And then you get, you know, you get your typical awesome young buck double team moves that they do. Um, Marty's in the match at this point to get the, the shit kicked out of him. You yeah. know, and then yeah. they, he makes a tag to Nick. Nick comes in like a house of fire. Yeah. They do, and then the they do a double sharpshooters him and Matt until Foley comes in, and it was just moving at a breakneck speed. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and I love, I don't know how he does it, but I absolutely, and some people hate it. I love when the arena gets quiet and Marty does the finger break thing. Oh, yeah. I love the sound it makes and just how it's presented. Um, yeah, it's, it's awesome. But then it's you had awesome. G.O.D. Hit, did a magic killer. Yeah. Right? And then Foley splashed on Matt. Marty makes the save. So you got all this shit going on. They did the triple super kicks on the Tongaloa. Nick flips, he flips off the top rope to the outside. Then they hit more bang for your buck, and it was like over. Like I was like, wow, that went like it was a twelve minute match that flew by. But I liked the outcome. It furthered the story till the next night. I liked the fact that they all did the um, the handshake fist bump thing before yeah, the match. I was just getting ready to say that the interplay that they had before the match, and then you know when um, the the you know old school Bullet Club handed over the titles and, and, and everything. It was just it was it was really really cool, um, and I, I felt like played very well into what would happen on night two and just the overall vibe of this is a 50 year anniversary this is a time for us to come together and celebrate the fact that you know we're the bullet club we're strong uh I, you know I, I think that it, it kind of makes it, it takes all of the angles that have been playing all you know through being the elite and, and on you know in ring of honor and, and other places and in new japan and it kind of helps to do a soft very soft uh, reset of a lot of that for Bullet yeah. Club members whose names are not Cody and Kenny. Well, we're which I thought was more, a great idea. We're going to talk more about that on night two because night, the second night's matched it even more. Yeah, but this was a great way. And to be honest with you, even if you took all that out of the equation, it was just a fun match for the six man belt, which you don't always yeah. get. Yeah, and absolutely. you know what I mean. And I think because it was Bullet Club versus Bullet Club, it gave it a little bit of extra. I had a little extra sizzle to it to make you care just that much more. But it was a good match. I thought twelve minutes is like a sweet spot for those kind of matches. You know. Yeah. So all right, yeah. we get to the next match. Suzuki Goon, Suzuki Goon, Lij. <laughs> so you have uh, Hiromu, Bushi, Sonata, Evil, 
and uh, Naito took on El Desperado, Kanemaru, Taichi, Zack Sabre Jr., and Suzuki himself. Minoru Suzuki. Oh, so boy. this match goes 13 minutes, 36 seconds, and ends with Evil gets the pin via Evil. Yeah. And he got Which it on... we did on, not call um, at all, by the way. <laughs> he got it on... Who did he get it on? Yoshinobu Kanemaru? Yeah, yeah Kanemaru. Yeah, Kanemaru. Um, yeah, no, I don't even know how... We had this match all screwed up, but that's fine. Well, oh, I we think did, the thing is, is that we back, thought, Oh, by the way, we didn't mention it. We did predict that Marty and the Bucks were going to win the six-man, right? We did. However, we actually said that they were going to win by count-out, so we did not have them winning the titles. No, the titles change hands on count-outs in Japan. Uh, that's right. That's right. You're right. That's yeah, why that's I took right. the low. Yeah, I, that's what I thought they were going to do. But anyway, we get to this match, right? Um, first of all, let me just say that the highlight for me is always Zack Sabre Jr. for two reasons. Yep. One, I can watch that guy put holds on people all day. I actually sit in a chair and I'm in pain watching it, right? But it gives the it gives me the chance to see Taka as his hype man. Which <laughs> I love watching Taka when he does his little hype shit. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, it's well, funny, you know, like the way he it's in Japanese and broken English at the same time. Yeah. It's great. One of the things too that I loved about about Zach in this match is that so I'm going to say two things that are going to sound a little contrary here, especially based off of a lot of the speculation that's been going on prior to this, especially about like there being friction between not any discernible signs of it, but that the potential for friction between Suzuki and and ZSJ exists. Yeah, Zach felt like a leader a lot of times within this match. And that's not to say that he's going to challenge Suzuki. I'm not trying to say that he is more of a leader of Suzuki-Goon or anything like that. No, he's definitely the lieutenant right now. Right, and it just felt like there were times when he was directing traffic, when he was the one that said, this is what we're doing, this is where the team goes from here. And I really liked that spot for him. Well, here's the The flip side of that, though, real quick, let me finish. The flip side of that is that when he and Suzuki were in the ring together anytime time they they worked so well as a team that yeah. all i could think is fuck i want to see suzuki and zack saber jr as a tag team like just yeah. like enter the tag team league you know go well, for the titles I don't think whatever necessarily they can't work together you know what i mean no. those two ideas but to, to play upon what you were saying i didn't mean to interrupt you but i That's didn't right. notice on the second night when they came into the ring did they come in on the second night together uh yes yes they did on the second night they played um the video, the entrance video for the whole group. Yeah. And for some reason, you could see the video more the way they, they shot it this time. It goes through each member of Suzuki Goon, and the second to last one that shows up is Zach. Zach shows up right before Suzuki. Yeah. I don't know if that's Man, I mean, on you purpose. Think... Like, I would think it's on purpose because they don't yeah. seem to do anything via accident. But like, it's almost like they're giving him the, the second highest bill on the, on the team. And, and like actually, you said, the new Japan like, Cup. But even when they're together, he seems like he's Minoru's the general and he's the the lieutenant that knows what he wants. Yeah, which I is would good. Agree. You know, um, can it's I just a great say spot too? For him. <laughs> and this is unrelated to the match because if you watch the match, I think Suzuki Gun just came down and jumped them as soon as they came in. Yeah, like they, they didn't did. even get off the entrance ramp, right? No, I get how it started and everything, but I think it's time for Evil to ditch the freaking sickle and the and the. Uh, the robe and everything. Like, yeah. it just doesn't fit in with the whole LIJ thing in a way. I mean, it's just, it's a part Maybe of his presentation. Me. Maybe it's me. I, I know, know, but I don't think it's a part of his presentation that he needs. I think it looks silly. 
Like, and I know that's kind of stupid because, like, The Undertaker still does shit that looks silly, but it's part of who he is. But, I mean, even if you just had him come out with a robe or something, like, or the gaunt, like where he wears the gauntlet that shoots the lasers, that's fine. I think that huge-ass plastic sickle thing should go. <laughs> and right, it looked even stupider. Enough. It looks stupid. Like, it drew my attention to it because, ah, oh, shit, the Sixers lost. It drew my attention to it because when they got jumped like that, He's still wearing the stupid robe and has the sickle in his hand. Right. It just looks silly. I don't know. I, no, I, I agree. It, it, it looks like a prop. It looks like a prop as opposed to being anything threatening or real. And I, I understand what you're saying. I really do. I Yeah, I, I don't know. I, 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 mean, I don't think I would care general, if he didn't have it. No. And I understand when he came in, it was the character and thing. I think he's grown beyond that, that he doesn't need it now. I would agree with that completely, um, especially and, in the tag team with Sonata. Like, yeah. I, I feel like in some ways, like, I, you know, not to not to steal a phrase here, but I think they're kind of no gimmicks needed. I mean, they don't. Yeah, need, I mean, I don't mind know. that Sonata has his little Colts gold mask. That's fine because it pops right off or whatever. You know what I mean? Or like Bushi has his mask over a mask. That's cool. Haroma has his jacket. It's not that I just don't think evil needs a childish looking sickle and that robe and everything like, you know. Yeah, you're right. It does look like something you'd buy from, like, a high-end Halloween store, you know? Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, I'd buy that to put on my porch at Halloween (laughs) in in a scarecrow's head. But anyway, another thing about their entrance, too. He still gets the pen, damn it. (laughs) Yes, he does. But for anybody who didn't see it or didn't notice, um, when they did come out, Naito is not wearing the Intercontinental belt at all. No, he is not. So, I mean, and they they did draw, that's an important thing because they drew attention right to it. Yeah. Um, so you had this match started, though. I mean, Suzuki just comes right out and attacks them. So yeah. it starts with everybody and their brothers brawling, and Suzuki is already going right after Naito on the outside. Oh, and he just tries to tear that fucking leg off again, man. Yeah. Um, once the match starts, you get Naito and... I think it was Naito and El Desperado actually start the match. They're already... It's already, like... They start the match, the, like, because it started before the bell even rang, the, the bullshit. Then they get in the match, and as soon as the bell rings, and, like, ten seconds later, it's already breaking down to Game Warfare again. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're beating the Suzuki guns beating the shit out of everybody with chairs. Um and for one thing too, like I don't know if people noticed and I learned I, I, I knew but this week showed chairs in Japan are very flimsy compared to yeah. the United States, but the tables are not. Oh god. We'll get to that in a little oh, bit, but yeah, we will. But when they hit each other with chairs, they're flimsy. A lot of times the the part breaks right out, but the seat, yeah, the seat yeah. Right out, yeah. But you have them going at it, then you have Naito is just getting abused. At one point, I think it was like five on one in the ring. They're yeah. just beating the shit out of him. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you have in there, and uh, Zach, Zach's in there. He's putting people on holes that look fucking brutal. Yeah. I'm sorry. Oop, I think that might be the first time I cursed on an episode yet. Drop that <laughs> word. But, um, yeah, it looked just brutal. You know, I love watching these matches, too, because I think this match had my two favorite juniors in it. I love uh, nothing against Kushida and Will Osprey because I love those guys, but I love Hiromu and yeah. I'm a big fan of Kanemaru. Yeah, I mean, you know, the th- the thing is like Kanemaru. He doesn't have got- the flash, but he's he's all steak and no sizzle. <laughs> but that's fine. The the division needs guys like that. No, I, I mean, I you know, he, I, I'll be honest with you. I love all four of the juniors in this match. You know, I mean, kind of more. Oh, I'm not, yeah, I don't want to make it sound like I don't like all. You know what I mean? I'm just. But Hiromu, but but legit. I mean, I've said this before. Hiromu is one of my favorites, without a doubt. I, I, Hiromu is one of my favorite wrestlers. He looks so incredibly good in the ring, and and like I I felt like one of the notes I even took in this match is that both he and Zack Saber Junior stood out. 
um, which they got the opportunity to. I'm not trying to say they're better than Naito or better than Suzuki or anything like that, but they they had an opportunity to stand out where others didn't, and, and it's well, always wonderful so. to I, see. I could be wrong, but I don't think when you have these like 10-man matches, they're designed to make Naito and Suzuki stand out. Except not exactly. That the only thing you want to stand out there is that they hate each other. Right. You want one of the lower guys, and I don't want to say on the totem pole, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, you're I talking about the exactly. two You want them to, to, to separate themselves a little bit. Um, you had Then you had Naito was selling the shit out of his leg because you, at one point you had Zack Sabre Jr. and Suzuki Goon, I'm sorry, Suzuki, each had one of his legs. That looked yeah. excruciating. You remember that? When they both, they, they were yeah. tag teaming the submission holds? And then, oh, and yeah, that's Naito what I was talking about. The teamwork, the stuff that they, yeah. Oh, yeah. so good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Naito finally gets the tag into the Sonata. And and real quick, and I've have said this before, Sonata's athleticism is unbelievable. Yeah. Some of the stuff that guy can do, and he looks so ho hum doing it. Like he's just like, yep. Like makes it look matter <laughs> of fact. It's, it's I would kill to have athleticism like that. He's like and, he, he reminds me he reminds me in a lot of ways of like a young Tanahashi who reminds me of a young Mudo. You know what I mean? There's that 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 athletic ability. Um, I don't necessarily think that he has the personality quite of either one of those two, but I think that the athletic ability uh, is very similar. You know, he does a little bit more with it just because yeah. I think it's 2018 as opposed to you know 2004 or 1991 or whatever. But I still think that 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 ki- that athleticism itself still kind of uh, uh, resonates through the ages, if you will, between like Mudo to Tanahashi to, yeah. to Sonata. No, I agree. Then he does this thing where he puts uh, I think it was Kanemaru. He puts in the Paradise Lock, mm-hmm. which is great. He always does that. Um, I have also noticed too, like Zack Saber Junior's in there doing submissions, right? Yeah, the submission moves he he does look excruciating. Yeah, but it's the small things he does, like when he yeah. takes his knuckles and just grinds them a little bit into a back, Absolutely. and then he takes his elbow and does it. Like I don't know if you've ever like he get get one of your buddies just to put their their the, the point of their elbow into your back and turn it and see how excruciating <sighs> that is. The Not that you're to hurt yourself, but you know what I mean, like. Yeah. Well, the brilliance of Zack Sabre Jr., and, and this has been remarked on recently even because of uh, um, the, the Suzuki-Naito match, for instance, uh, is that Zack Sabre Jr.'s submission holds are very active. It's not just about taking a hold on a limb and then just, you know, sinking it in and holding on yeah, to it for 10 so minutes. he's doing so much more he's while he's in there. He's moving all the time. He's transitioning. He's grinding. He's doing those little things. He's poking a finger. He's dragging the knuckles. He's doing, you know, he does these things that take what would normally just be like, oh, he's got a leg and he's going to work the hold. And he, he actually works the hold and moves it to another hold. Whereas, you know, 30 years ago, you saw somebody grab an arm bar and they just grabbed a fucking arm. It was almost like a rest position. Yeah, exactly. Whereas with Zach, it's so active. He makes it so interesting to watch. And those transitions are so fluid and so beautiful. And people can talk about like, you know, the British style or, or, you know, the, the Wigan submission style or whatever that they want to talk about with John style. Yeah. Yeah. And that's fine. But Zach Sabre jr. Has taken it to a whole new level. Like, I mean, no, like he 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 is the yeah, guy no, that has no. built on all of that to a whole new level, and he's so new, so unique in mainstream wrestling because I can't think of anybody else who does it to the level he does it like that. Yeah, like he almost has no offense except for holds. He'll do some slaps and chops. I mean, I'm not saying he can't, but that's not oh, what no. his character is or does. Hell, I've seen him do fucking suicide dives out of the ring yeah. before, but you know he's he only going to do, do something that. just to do it. Exactly. 
You know, so when he does do something crazy, you're like, wow. But, uh, all right, so now you got at this point, there's, and I even have my notes, there's just shit going on everywhere. Yeah. Everybody, it's like gang warfare and everything. They do this one cool spot where Hiromu runs in and Evil and Naito launch him into a drop kick. Oh, yeah, I love that. I love that. That's yeah, not even the first time they've cool. done that on the tour, but yeah, I love that so, spot. So now they all spread out, they're all going at it. Evil's in there. Evil hits the, um, who did he hit? He got Kanemaru and hit him with Evil and they get yep. the pin. Yeah. So then you got, but you still got everybody still brawling. Then as they're leaving, I love Suzuki beats up two young boys. Yeah, of course he does. Back. Now, you get to the where everybody leaves. Now you have, well, you have Evil and Sonata in the ring, and the rest of LIJ outside of the ring. And who shows up but... Matt and Nick Jackson. Yes, they do. Dude, all right, so I got to be honest with you. I got to be honest with you. I did not expect this yet. I told you, I, I, think, I was, think it was two episodes ago when I said to you, I was like, look, I love the way that the Young Bucks are kind of having to build their way through the heavyweight division to get to a title shot. Nope, that's not, that's not the case at all. They just jumped right to the front of the line, and they come out and they say, we want those titles, super kicks, and it's just like, okay, there you have it. Yeah, I'm with you. I thought they were going to get there, but I thought it'd be a little lot. I, I thought it'd be right after Dominion, because I thought they would set this up at Dominion for the G1 special in the U.S., which they, right. they may still get to that point, but you know, it was. So I, I, I loved it though. I'm not complaining yeah. at all. I, I'm no, glad no, no, no. that I was wrong. <laughs> so you got that, and and that was the one thing the first night that got spoiled for me before I could watch it. Yeah. Somebody put, but it was kind of okay in a way because since I knew they were going to challenge for that, when I watched the six man match, I was completely surprised because I didn't think they were going to win the six man belts. And then challenge for the tag belts on the same night. So right. it was actually a spoil that kind of made something else shocking for me. Not shocking, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, obviously, then, so they super kick him and get out of Dodge. Evil gets on the, the mic, and this was where having the translator was great. He, they basically accepted. I don't know exactly what they said, but the translator's like, yeah, they accepted. Well, all right. Right. So you were going to have Evil and Sonata defending the belts against the Young Bucks, either at Dominion or the G1 Special. We'll see how this plays out, but... That's what's coming our way. Yeah, I mean, most likely Dominion, but yeah, we'll see how. It I would agree, out. but you never know. All right. right, so unless you have anything else, we're on to the seventh match. Let's do it. Okay, we get to the seventh match. It's a thirty-minute tag team belt uh, or time limit special tag match. Kushida and Hiroshi Tanahashi take on the Chaos Team of Will Ospreay and the IWGP Champion Kazuchika Okada. Man, this, this match just goes. It was great stuff with all around. Minutes, yeah, sixteen minutes, fifteen seconds. It ends with. Kazuchika Okada hitting the Rainmaker and pinning Kushida. Which is which exactly I what I predicted. you had it. I went yeah. the other way, but we both knew it was going to be... You predicted that. Yeah, but one um, of the, we, you, you thought that uh, Osprey was going to fall to Tanahashi, but I mean, it was the yeah, same, same basic principle. Make, the junior yeah, I just thought to the heavyweight. Were, I did it the other way around, thinking that they were going to try to make Osprey look a little bit more vulnerable before his, tag ma- or his title match, but sure. it worked just the same. Um, yeah. They did the thing on this match where they staggered the entrances again. Yep. Which I love. Yeah. I love. Um, I do like the fact that they gave us Okada and Tanahashi right out of the shoot. Like Me I was too. expecting, I was expecting one of the juniors and one of the heavyweights to start the match to not give us, but they didn't. They gave well, us Okada. And how, and, and how great was it that they played into the you know the you know going back six years storyline of Tanahashi going after Okada's legs, which would then play into the title match on the next night. Like yeah. the the subtlety, you know, or not so subtle, I guess in this case, but the 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 way that they were building, you know, the Tanahashi Okada stuff, and you know, each of them targeting different body parts, and each of them kind of going after one another, and Okada's continued sort of disrespect, sort of like. 
I'm beyond you now. Uh, it, it was just so great, and, and I felt like um, not to be outdone, though, Kushida and Osprey, again, just such a joy to watch. It's like anytime the two of those guys are in the ring, all I want to do is just sit there and like tune out the rest of the world and see what they're doing, you know? Yeah, it was great. There was so many so many good things too. Like they started them out. Then once you get Osprey I mean I'm not gonna go move my move, but once you get Osprey and Kushida in there, it made sense. Kushida was at targeting Osprey's neck and, and shoulder area. Yep. Um yeah Okada was he really went like, after the arm. Yeah. Well, he started on the left arm because he was going for the... Or was that the second night? That might no, no. Night. It was, yeah. he, he, well, it was both, which made yeah. it even better, is that he started yeah. going after the arm in this match, and then the next Logic. night, he was going to... Exactly. Amazing, exactly. Isn't it? I know, when right? He went, um, and then I liked how Okada was being the super arrogant dick in this. Oh. <laughs> and, and which is great because he knows, yeah. he knows the crowd is not going to like him in Fukuoka. So it's like... So he that, might as well go a, with it. Exactly. It's a strange thing about New Japan in general is that there are certain audiences that would boo the shit out of Tanahashi. But that's not Fukuoka. Like, Fukuoka is going to love Tanahashi, so yeah. it's a perfect opportunity for Okada to be a dick. You know, well, I guess that's not really all that different from other places. You know, like you say, it's a weird thing in Japan. But like, if you go to the United States, even when they had like CM Punk as a di- was being a dick, he'd get booed in certain arenas. But he's going to get cheered in Chicago, Philly, Boston, New York, like the more sure. hard scrabble type place. But I get what you're saying. Yeah. Um, the, the Chaos team works so well together. Osprey and Kazuchika kind of complement each other so well when they're in these matches. They yeah. really, really do. Um, well, and the fact that they're both the champions, I feel like the way that they feed into one another as far as... It's it's great because Okada is so much like, I'm the champion, you can't beat me. Whereas Osprey is that champion who says, I have to beat you to prove that I that I deserve to yeah, be the, the, it's, the It's a completely the different holder. dynamic, but you never get the feeling when they're together that Okada looks down on Osprey for being no, a junior. Like, they're not. the champs. They run yeah. the world, you know what I mean? Well, and ever since they had that singles match together, Okada has said, like, show, yeah. you know, like, like, oh, didn't Okada actually say at one point he was, like, on another night he could have beaten me or something like that? You know yeah, what I mean? Well, like, which like, is smart. He's putting over his own stable mate, but yeah. Right, right, right. right. But, uh, no, then you had Tanahashi had a run like Senton. Okada fired back with the flapjack that he hit on, on Tanahashi. Mm-hmm. Then Okada went from the tombstone outside and he missed it. And Tanahashi hit him with a vicious dragon leg screw. Vicious. Oh, yeah. Man. You know? Because that was oh, the that, one where his leg basically like stayed. Yeah, and then in he attacked it right basically. after because then he put him in, a t- in the clover leaf. Yeah, yep. he went right after it. Um, and then, and then when you get Osprey and Kushida in there, and we'll talk more on the second night. There is there two better guys in the world like in the ring together. In God, a match. I, don't, like, I, just, I, I don't think there are. And that's no knock on anybody else. I mean, I'm not saying they're the two best wrestlers on the planet, but there's just something magical when those two work together. I don't right. know if it's. Like because a sense of timing or whatever it is. Right, I think that's part of it because there's chain wrestling, which people do, and you see it, and it's almost like, and sometimes it looks good, but it's still the idea that, like, we're chain wrestling. Whereas when they chain wrestle, it's literally two guys who are just that good of saying, like, oh, you put me in a headlock, I'm going to flip over, oh, now I've got you in the head scissors, oh, I'm going to jump out, oh, you're going to do that, I'm going to put, and it's just like, it flows so perfectly. I mean, they literally, they literally, like, start on one side of the ring and can chain wrestle all the way to the other side of the ring and this believable progression that just makes you kind of, I don't know, it pops a crowd in a way that we've gotten so used to seeing those some of those chain wrestling spots and the way that they do it, it seems so effortless, while at yeah. the same time, they're working for it. So it's not just a spot, it feels like they're, they're wrestling. Uh, and then there was a spot, like I love when Osprey goes and puts, gets the cheeky Nando's kick. 
Yeah, I'm oh. always a big fan. We'll get to that dude. Second, night right? two, they took, my yeah. god. Uh, but then Will Osprey hit like a top rope six one nine. Like he was on the top rope, and they call it a top rope six one nine. Like they don't shy away from that at all. Um, I love when he hits the one man Spanish fly. It's such a cool looking move, and he does it so well. Yeah. Oh, then you had Okada, how oh. the wicked ass neck breaker that he lands on Kushida before he hits him with the rainmaker. Oh. He, oh he yeah. Just, he just it's so well done. But then he gets Kushida, hits him with the rainmaker, so we get the three count. Then you get the awesome moment right after it where you got Okada and Tanahashi staring at each other face to face and then Okada does the the dickish thing ever he turns his back to him yeah like blows him off and that's the thing is it's like yeah at this point Okada just is is, is, you know it's like I'm beyond you like I am better than you and it's ah, man well we'll talk more about that later but uh okay let's get to yeah Koda and uh, Koda Kota Ibushi and Cody Rhodes. Okay, this match Cody. went 23 minutes, 36 seconds, and it ended with Cody hitting Din's fire for the pin, which we'll get to that at the end of the match. I loved that move. Yeah. It's like, like almost like a vertebraker, but it, it is. a cool It's a driver, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, no, it was great. I like this match, and you know what? I, maybe I'm in the minority. I know a lot of people bag on Cody. I like Cody. And I, I think love Cody. I, listen, I don't think Cody is going to go out there and put on a six-star match. But I think Cody is a lot better wrestler than people like to give him credit for. And uh, Here's one of the I, things I would say about Cody Especially if he's quick. working with somebody that's good. Cody's match with Okada at the first G1 special was, in my opinion, and this is not a knock, it's just that there are different styles, as crazy as it might sound, was a New Japan guy and a WWE guy. This doesn't match he had with Kota Ibushi. Lo- I mean, but doesn't that seem logical? Because that's where he was coming from. Yes, yes. But that gets me to my next point, which I think is a, a huge compliment for Cody, is that this match with Ibushi was not that. This felt like a New Japan pro wrestling match from both guys. Yeah. And I think that Cody has... He has shed his skin as far as being... You know, the WWE guy who came to make a lot of money on the indies and try to raise the profile of some places or whatever. And now Cody is his own man, which I think that that's the hallmark of New Japan. Yeah, it's it's not that it's not that there's a New Japan style. It's that New Japan lets guys be who they are, whereas WWE, they take the handcuffs off. Exactly. And oftentimes with WWE, it's all about you have to you have to fit within this box. And New Japan is not about you have to fit in this box. New Japan is about trying to find who you are and then letting you run with it. Yeah. Although, I will say this, and I know it had nothing to do with this match, but there was a great line from Cody, Cody, uh, like maybe last month or so, against Kenny. Because Kenny had called, basically called him a WWE dropout. Mm-hmm. Did you see Cody was in the ring, in the Ring of Honor show with the mic. He said, uh, I'm a WWE dropout. You couldn't hack it in their developmental system. <laughs> it was just like a great line, but yeah. All right, so we get to this match. You got Cody. Um, Cody immediately goes for a vertical suplex. Cody, um, he sells his neck. If anybody can see that, he sells a neck injury to try to bait Kota Bushi in, and it works. Yeah, because he's got some arthritis in a couple of his vertebrae. Apparently. Yeah, and they, they're making a big deal about it, you know. Which he is snaps, brilliant. Yeah, Cody snapped his uh, Cody off the neck off the ropes. He reversed the suplex on on the apron. Then he hits this like springboard clothesline off the top to the outside. Um, then he spits water on Coda and on Cal and Kevin Kelly. 
And then he starts doing push-ups, so he's being like a complete dick. And the whole beginning of this match is all Co- uh, Cody. Yeah. He gets Cody in a figure four. Um, then it returns. Cody uses this brutal-ass set of kicks on Cody. Yeah. And then he hits him with like a snap run, I guess they were calling it. And, into, and then he does the golden triangle, which is like his top rope moonsault off, to the, off the top apron to the outside. Yeah. Cody's going back and forth. He hits a disaster kick. They, they get to the point where they, it seems like in every one of these matches, the guy do like the back and forth slaps and elbows. Yeah, Seems man, those man. slaps. Oof. Yeah. Um, Cody hits him with a wicked clothesline. Then Cody splashes. There's a point where Cody splashes red shoes. Yeah. So you get the ref bump. Uh, Cody gets a table. And this is when shit gets interesting. Cody's on the table, and Cody does a double leg stomp onto Cody. Almost like, a, like if you're not familiar, it's like Finn Balor's coup de gras almost. Does a double leg stamp onto Cody, and the table doesn't break. No, and it Not is sick even a looking. Little bit. It is sick looking because it doesn't break. So then, Cody is going to go back to the top and do it again, right? And if yeah. you think the first one's bad, you're like the second one looked gruesome because it doesn't break again, but it broke some of the way. So the best way I could describe it is Cody's laying on the table, and his whole like, from the middle of his back and shoulder blades are busted through the table. But the rest of his body hasn't. Yeah. And you could tell because of the charge of the table, he's, he busts his back open. He's also, he has a, a pretty good welt and, like, scratch right down his back, but he's bleeding. I mean, he's not gushing blood, but he's bleeding right out of his back. Right. So anybody that knows wrestling knows that's a hard way because nobody's going to slice their back. No. You know no. what I mean? So the table did a number on him, and it was just like, I, I don't know how to describe it. It was, it looked awful. It was brutal looking. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it, I, I, it, I don't know what you want to add to that. Like, if you could do it more justice than I can describing it, but it looked horrific. No, and I if, think you did a perfect job. Even if you don't have New Japan uh, Pro uh, World, Pro Wrestling World, if you go on their website and look under results, there's pictures of it. Yeah. And it just, oh, God, I wouldn't want to, like, it looked awful. Like, it would have been so much better if you just broke right through the table either time. Yeah. No, I know. I, I completely agree. It was, you know, the, the, the crazy thing about it is that it, it almost looked like at one point he was just literally going to like slide through this hole on the table because like you said, like his back is just hanging out of the table, but it wasn't broken enough for that to happen, you know? And it's just, it was, it was a really man between that and the, the table bump that we see in the next match. Like we got a couple of brutal table bumps yeah. uh, uh, on this one. Um, it was brutal. Yeah. So and then, but he gets, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, you know, and then Abushi doesn't rest. Like, Abushi just goes right after him. Uh, and, uh, and it leads to one of the coolest spots in the match because Cody bails and he goes out into the crowd and Obushi launches himself off the top yeah. rope with this, like, splash, this incredible dive right into the crowd. And just well, let, let me preface it too. What was really cool right before it too is Cody. Um, I'm sorry, Coda hits Cody in the last ride. Yeah, which Cody kicks out at right. Then Coda twice goes for the Kamagoi, which yep. it's like it's like a V trigger kind of, but he keeps missing and Cody gets out of it. That that's when he gets him into the outside. He's getting frustrated and he hits the splash. But like you have to see the video of it because he like springboards off the top rope, but he goes. Out over the gap, over the railing, out into the crowd. Yeah, it was it was incredible. And the thing is, is it's like you know, there are other promotions where you've seen somebody like leap out into the crowd or whatever. But in New Japan, it's a feat because that 
it's they're a bigger further camp. back, yeah. So I mean, it's a hell of a jump. Uh, and, and it was just incredible. Um, and and you know, the funny thing is, is at this point, like Cody's taken so much, you're just starting to think, Jesus, you know. I mean, it's only got to be a matter of time, right? Well, you're watching this match, and you're supposed to hate Cody, but he's taking such abuse and everything, and you know, like the table spot's real that you're like, holy God, I'm feeling awful for this guy in there. Right, right. And then as they come back in the ring, he hits crossroads out of nowhere. And it was uh, a sick-looking crossroad. Yeah. But Ibushi kicked out. Yeah, but Ibushi did the thing you hate. He had his <laughs> eyes open. <laughs> I know. I, I have, it's funny, I you told me down, that. And I haven't highlighted, like, tell, like Sam hates this. You told you me that. you missed it originally, right? And for whatever reason, I didn't. I missed it. I somehow I missed it. I didn't see it. But yeah. Well, it's yeah. easy to miss stuff like that because sometimes they go for a pin, and you're like, okay, and you take a swig of your drink, or you right, look right, down right, for right. two seconds. But no, he was eyeballing it right off to the ref. So, but then you got Cody picks him up, and he does his. I guess it was, is this going to be his new finisher? I guess or one of them. I think so. Yeah, yeah. I, I like think- it. The idea that I'm getting, and I could be wrong about this, is that they're giving some guys, or some guys just want new moves, whatever the case may be, uh, that, that they're, that it's kind of like... it's not the only time we're going to see this in the two nights. A couple other people had new moves that they used. Exactly, exactly. Like, so, like Osprey. Yeah. So I have a feeling it's just one of those things where it it might not, like, I don't know that we'll see Osprey always use the Stormbreaker. I don't know that we'll always see Cody use the Dense Fire, but I have a feeling that, you know, in, in a desperation situation, in a big match situation, they'll pull it out. Um, that could be right. I Who knows? Like, I liked it. I liked the way it looked. It's basically, it's a vertebraker. He just goes yeah. in fire. But um, I like that a lot. But I like Crossroads because, like, cr- the Crossroads he does now in New Japan looks way worse than the Crossroads he did WWE. Because yeah. when he goes over, he almost he puts it's almost like he spikes them on their head most of the time now, right. as opposed to going completely horizontal. Yeah. But uh, so he hits the the new move, Dim's fire. He gets the three count, and I have written here. Listen, I, you could like Cody or hate Cody or like his in ring work or not, but one thing Cody excels at is he has this idea of his character nailed. He is the swarmiest fuck on the planet Earth, like. But he knows how to do his character and his facial expressions and the way he does it. He, you know, and he might not be the best worker as far as moves, but as far as acting and presenting his character, he's he's as good as they come. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, I for me, the the one thing that I think separates In my him. No, no, and I I don't disagree with any of what you just said. But the one thing that might separate him from bumping up a level at this particular point in time, and I mean, who the hell am I to say this? But is that there's a certain lack of urgency at times and build. It's almost like what you just said, which are very good things. And I agree with, he lets get in the way of properly building the match to get the right payoffs. And he doesn't yeah. always do it. And I think he's getting better at it, but like the, the, uh, the match at ring of honor, for instance, is a perfect example. It's, it felt to me like they ground the actual match to a halt in favor of trying to tell a story outside of the match. And to me, the so hallmark of the New Japan... The match. Right, and the hallmark of New Japan, the thing that makes New Japan so special, is that 90% of the time, the story is told in the match, not, at, not apart from the match. And I think that he's used to a type of storytelling that is you tell the story and the match is just a side dish to the story. You know if, but, if I was booking this, give me the guy who can do it like he does it and let me teach him how to rein it in a little bit. Yeah. Then a guy who can't do it is not going to learn how or totally. not going to get good at it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Kenny, Kenny's a good example in a lot of ways. If you go back and watch a lot of early Kenny stuff, he did a lot more of the shit. 
Yeah. Like, and, and the goofy Dragon Ball stuff or the video game stuff, and he's reined it in. But his in-ring work is so good, and he's found a, a better balance. Without a doubt. Speaking of Kenny. Let's do it. Uh, and just for the record, the, the Kota Ibushi-Cody match was the longest match of the night. 23 minutes, 36 seconds. The main event, which was Kenny Omega and Hangman, went eight, 18 minutes, 23 seconds. And it ended with the one-winged angel for the pin. And yeah. just for the record, Kenny did come to the ring with one of the uh, anniversary kimonos on. Yeah. <laughs> which is nice. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, Hangman Page came, his whole thigh, his left thigh is all wrapped up. So you figured that was going to... And Cody, or I'm sorry, Cody, Kenny not only has the 50th anniversary robe thing on, he's also uh, dyed his hair back to being all blonde. Yeah, bleach blonde, yeah. Like, you know, so... um, I'm trying to think here. As soon as the match, the bell rings, though, Cody's right back out. Cody's yeah. in the ring with Paige, laying, they're, they're laying it into it Kenny It was before the bell rang, before was the it bell before rang. It was like, white, yeah. yeah, like, so they're giving it to him pretty good. Kenny gets, um, he slingshot, planches over the top. He, he did the rise of Cody. the Terminator, did, yeah. yeah. We did the planche thing on the, on the hangman, then he did, yeah, the rise of the Terminator. Like, they're even calling it the Terminator dive. Yeah. That's what they were calling it on to Cody. So now we get to the match proper. Paige, I thought, looked good. He always, he's solid, man. He's not going to be... World like like revolutionary, but he's very solid at what he does, especially if he's working with somebody who's good. Yeah. Um. He did a moonsault from the top to the outside. He hit the right of passage outside onto Kenny, uh, not, not onto a table that was set up. Right. But the table, table was the flat legs, on the ground. Yeah. The, the legs he, weren't folded out. Yeah. And he drops him on the table. The table just breaks in this sick, sick way. And then looked awful. And then the next time we see uh, Kenny, it, it, you know, he, like the top of his head is but it like. It's an interesting thing because normally I always assume a guy bladed. Yeah. Right? Oh, he did. I, did he blade? Because it looked like yeah. the cut was in the top of his head. Yeah, but he, no, he did He did the same okay. thing that Lesnar did at WrestleMania a few years ago where he bladed the top of his head and, and, and everybody that thought that he just busted his head into the post. Yeah. Because no, 95% of the time, guys. Blade, it's right across the forehead. Right. It'll bleed like a bitch, but it heals up pretty quick. But no, he was, and, and it worked too because he, he because he bleached blonde his hair. Right. He bleached blonde hair, so it shows up like, it's that old Ric Flair visual. Right. Of the, the, the platinum hair covered in blood, but it works so well. But Kenny's all busted open. There was, there was a weird amount of blood on the card for the, like, for the two nights. Yeah. You know, um, Kenny does everything so nice. He hit a snap suplex on the hang, on, on hangman. Then he suplexed him over the uh, onto the apron. That was sick looking. Yeah. Um, then he does like what would you say? It's like a rolling thunder. Like what he and then he goes for a moonsault off the oh, rail. Oh, the he misses the, the you will not escape move. Yeah. Where yeah, where they put him on their shoulders uh, and they roll forward and roll through. Yeah. And then he yeah, hopped he up calls on the guardrail. He calls it you will not escape. That's, okay. That's, yeah. I can't keep all the different names for the same move together, but okay. So, um, but then he goes to the moonsault. He misses, but he gets hit with a wicked clothesline. Yeah. Uh, but he clotheslines him. Or, I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. He goes for and misses, but then Paige clo- comes back. He clotheslines Paige over the rail. Um, then, then Paige the, then comes back with the slingshot lariat. Yeah. And does a power bomb and gets a two count. Yeah. Then he does a fallaway slam, and then he starts hitting some heavy ass chops. That's when Kenny's coming off the and does that running DDT that he does, which looks sick. Yeah. Um, and a small thing too. Am I the only one? I love the way 
that Kenny runs the ropes. Like, each time he runs the ropes, right before he's going to hit the ropes, he does, like, this little stutter step thing, and he seems like he gains speed. It's hard to describe. Next time you're watching him just bounce off the ropes, watch him. He does yeah. it like any, unlike anybody I've ever seen. Now he's great. I love the way they runs the ropes. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that's I like such a small thing, but it's like it stands out. And if I'm noticing it, somebody else probably is too. Right. Um, all right. So then Kenny does it, goes for a V trigger, and he misses it. But he goes right behind, and then he winds up doing a V trigger to the back of Paige's head. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That looked pretty good. Then um, not as brutal got, as the other one though that he hits. No, no. Paige is fighting back, and he does this like I don't even know what you would call it, like a discus forearm. Yeah. I guess would be the best way to describe it. Then Paige goes on some offense because he hits a package pile driver, which yeah. I'm shocked that they did. Then he hits this real sweet top rope neck breaker. Then he turns on and does a release German, but Kenny lands on his feet and does this sick V trigger. Yeah. Then he does the flying V trigger. That was brutal. Which, which, I mean, yeah, I mean, fuck, it looked like it knocked Paige out, you know? I don't know how they do that move, and you watch it in slow-mo, and he's connecting, and I don't know how they do that without killing each other. I really don't. Yeah. How good on them for doing it, but they make it look so realistic. Um, then he hits a snapdragon suplex. You got Hangman went for the slingshot lariat again, and Kenny V triggers him as he's slingshotting it. Oh, that was the one I was talking about. Yes, yes, yes. When he does that one, he like it looks like he connects right on the chin. Yeah, I know. Like the it, other one was good, too, where he does the running one. But this is the one, anybody who watches Paige, he does that slingshot lariat over the rope and in. And as he's flying over, Kenny just hits him with this like disgustingly brutal. Just drills him. Yeah. Oh. And the sound it makes, and when they show it in replay, you can see his head hit and go back. I don't know yeah. how he didn't kill him. But he, he goes for the pin, he gets a two count. Then he goes for another V-trigger and does it. Then he does a, tri- a tiger driver. Yeah. He gets a two count. Then he goes for another V-trigger. He hits the V-trigger, and then he's able to get him up for the one-winged angel. Bang, three count. One, two, three. Then, yeah. Kenny gets the mic and starts talking Japanese at this point. And to be honest with you, I don't know what he said. He just, I don't know. He, he basically I, I just missed the, the part crowd. there. Yeah. Yeah. He, it, I know he said something like it's been a while. Like he alluded to it's been too long since he spoke Japanese to them or something. Yeah. Yeah, but, because for a while there when he was, you know, uh, when he was full on Bullet Club heel, he would not speak in Japanese to them anymore. Even though, and it was awesome because it had already been established that Kenny Omega knows Japanese and would speak Japanese to the audience, but then he would not do it anymore. Yeah. He would only speak just English. Just to be a dick. But yeah, but now he's been speaking Japanese again, and which well, was a now big he's deal. A good he, guy, you know. Right. What I mean? At least for now, we'll see how this all plays out. But all right, so I mean, that basically is Road to Jantaku Night One. Yeah. And before we move on to, to Night Two, do you have anything you want to add or, or a critique? No, 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 not at all. I, I think that you know, uh, honestly, I felt like it was a good card. I, I felt like uh, it. It did not. It felt like a part one of a part two in a way, if that makes sense. It didn't feel like a complete, like, oh my no, god, you have to watch sense. this event, it's going to blow you away. It felt like you're going to watch night one, and it's going to be, you know, it's your appetizer. It's a really good appetizer. It's a great yeah, fucking a appetizer. appetizer. <laughs> but, right, right, right. It's almost a meal um, in and of itself, but you need to come back to get the full meal. Yeah, it's like when you go to a restaurant for the first time and they bring out all the food and your stuff and then you're like they bring out the main entree and you can't believe how much food is there. Yeah. Like that happens once in a while, especially you go to like a mom and pop restaurant. Same idea. But I, I will say this, my general, and I wasn't gonna say it till night two, but since seeing that we're talking about it, they could to me could have eliminated one night, took the best matches and made this a one night card that would have been unbelievable. 
Yeah, I agree. But, but apparently but they sold thing, out both nights, so that's, you know, right, mission accomplished. Well, and the big thing for them, I think, is, too, is that ultimately Dantaku is not... It's not a headline show. It's not Dominion. It's not King of Pro Wrestling. It's not Wrestle Kingdom. You know, this is... It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a show, but it's, it's not... It's Backlash. This is their Backlash. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Or Payback or something. It's not Mania or something. You know, and I, I hate to use that, but... You know, there are some people that are relatively new. It'll put it in a perfect perspective. Right. It's 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 a pay per view quality event, and you you're going to see some great matches. But overall, this isn't built up to be a super card. Like you said, you, you basically your big ones are going to be Wrestle Kingdom's the big the, the big one, Dominion's like the second biggest show. You have King of Pro Wrestling, and other than that, it's all about like the G one. Right. So, but that's fine. I mean, it was a quality show. I just think if you had done it, it would have been a great show if they'd done it as a one-night show. But they did two really good nights, and they sold out two nights. So they probably did better in the long run the way they did it. Now, they did run the ad on the second night that Wrestling Dantaku is back at Fukuoka next year. And, again, it's a two-night event. Yeah. So. So let's, uh, let's, let's talk night two, then. Okay, night two. Night two, we should be able to get through night two a little faster in the beginning because a lot of this, uh, this stuff about people we discussed. But night two, you have... Um, oh, and by the way, we did predict... We both predicted Kenny would win. And I think you predicted Cody and I predicted Kota. Yes, that is correct. So you're doing better with your predictions than I am, which is normally <laughs> how this works. All right, first match, we have... Taguchi Tiger Mask and Jushin Thunder Liger took on the team of Yuya Yuminora. Was that better? Yeah, U- yeah, yeah. U- Yuya, U- Whatever. How, Yuya well, I butchered it last week, so I'm trying to get at least a little better. <laughs> Ren Narita and Shota Umino. Now, I guarantee we both picked the we both picked the winning team on this because it was there was nothing left to you know we knew who was going to win. Um, the match did ended did end when Taguchi hit his finishing move on Ren, Ren Narita, but um, what they're calling this the Oh My and Gar? I have are you, no idea. I are you on the website? No idea. The list of finishing moves: the uh, Oh My well, yeah. and Garnankle Hold. I was, but unfortunately, my computer decided to stop uh, working. So yeah, now I'm just looking is, at a blank page. He puts him in a finishing hold. He doesn't hit the dodon on him. He puts him in this finishing, like a submission hold. But it's actually called the Oh My and Garanko hold. All right, then. I don't know. I never heard it referred to as that, but it is what it is. You, you basically have the young lions that started the match out fast. They do their thing. Uh, Tiger Mask kicks the shit out of um, Ren. Was it Ren that he kicks the shit? I get, but I, I'm pretty sure it was, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Liger does his work. Uh, Ren Narita runs away at one point, which is hilarious. Yuma, you how do you guys say this guy's name? Uemura. So here's the thing. Uemura. I, I can't I, say I that heard, name. So, so, I, I, so, so Meltzer at one point said Uemura, and I was like, oh, I've been saying it wrong. But no, I, 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 that's not the case. It is Uemura. Uamura. I don't yeah. know why I can't say that though. All right, so Uamura does this real nice drop kick. You got Liger doing his thing. Rendarita clears the clears the ring out. Um, let's see. Rendarita then rolls rolls for the Boston Crab. He he doesn't move. This is this great part in this match where he rolls the guy around into a Boston Crab, 
And Don Callis makes this great line that, like, he basically saying he's going to catch shit for this when he goes in the back. Yeah. Because he did it with too much flair. But it was and so Kevin, damn cool. And Kevin Kelly says, well, whatever you do, like, sarcastically, don't get over. And Don Callis goes, well, what is this, WWE 1997? Stop getting <laughs> over. It was, it, like, I understand we hear us butchered isn't, but it, it was so funny the way he did it. And Don Callis is quick wit, like, and he was talking about how he did moves like that when he was in WWE. Like, he was on this WWE thing going, so it was funny. Yeah. But, um, but that's basically what you got. So you got that move going. Or the, uh, whatever that weird tap out move that he has. We already spent too much time on this match. Second match, you got Oka and Nagata teamed up to go against Chase and Yujiro Takahashi. This match only went six minutes when Chase hit Oka with the package pile driver. I think we all saw that it was going to end that way. We, yeah. You looked, you knew Oka was going to take a pinfall. It was just either. And I think we both predicted this because we figured they were going to make Chase look strong with that package pile driver. Yep, that's exactly what we predicted, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's basically exactly what you, what you thought. I don't think there's really anything to discuss on this unless you have something. No. No. Speaking Although of there was that, one note, there was no. one note to add. I guess after the match is that Owens was motioning for the tag titles after the match. Yeah. So, but that know. could be, you know. No. Um, speaking of matches that I don't really even want to talk about, oh, again Jesus. it's Shoyo and Rocky versus Takataichi and, and Iska. Um, in my notes, I put I've seen this match I think ten times in the last two weeks. Uh, I'm really starting to hate this. Azuka bites everything. Um, the only thing is there was a point where to make this a little different there was a point where the, the ref took a bump and uh, Taka came in with the mic stand and started hitting people Show yeah, was triple yeah I'm sorry what did I say I, I said Show Tai Chi came in um, Show was was by himself at one point and fought back pretty well and then he got worked over uh, they go for the iron claw and they're able to fight it off and in the confusion they're able to hit 3k on Taka for the for the three count I mean realistically I don't know if there's anything else we need to talk about. No. No. Except right. except that one of the things that did come out of the match, again, the funny thing is is that this night felt like there was more that happened after the match on some of these matches than in the actual match. But one of the things that came out of this match is that it seemed like Sho and Yo are back on the hunt for the uh, junior tag titles, which I'm very much looking forward to them taking on Kanemaru and, and, and Desperado. Yeah, and they alluded to that, so that's yeah. probably where we're going. All right, let's get on to the fourth match. Um, the fourth match was our boy Toa Hanare <laughs> and Togi, Togi Makabe versus uh, Yano and Ishii. Yeah. Um, you know, the match went seven minutes, 12 seconds. It ended with the, with Ishii hitting his vertical brain buster on Hanari. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, uh, listen, I, I'm not going to go into detail on this, but I feel like they wasted an opportunity here a little bit. Um, I've seen this match play out or a combination. Makabe's the wild card, but I've seen I, I, Ishii and Hanari so many times now and it always seems that like in these tag matches Ishii's gonna hit the vertical brain buster on Hanari right um I, it would have been nice even if they wanted them to win to maybe change it up a little bit even if Hanari took the pin maybe he got schoolboyed or nut shot by Yano or something it just seems we get into these matches and Hanari's it's determined to eat the vertical brain buster not a big yeah. deal. Not a big deal. You know, you know, one thing that I'll give Hanari, though, real quick, is that he does have really good chemistry with Ishii. And, I mean, Ishii is incredible. Like, he's one of my favorite guys. So I, I have a feeling he could have a good match with anybody. But, uh, you know, to, to to their credit, they do have good exchanges. And this match was no different. No, I agree. Um, but, but like, maybe, maybe would it have killed them to let Hanari get a pinfall on Yano, maybe? No, I agree. Or I, I just totally to give the agree. kids something. You know, he's in there every night taking these... And it, it, like, the work he's doing with the Ishii, 
can't feel good. You're getting slapped and, right. and everything all over the place. Um, one thing I do want to put, and, and <coughs> you know, maybe it's because we watched the on the classic matches last week, the Shibata thing. Ishii and Hinari need to cool it a little bit with the fucking headbutting. Yeah. All right. Now I don't mind when Hinari does it at first because you can tell if you watch it, he's putting his hand and just hitting the head. Like you know what I mean? Right. There's a point where they did a full on forehead to forehead uh, headbutt twice. Yeah. No, I understand they're not doing it with the sickening thud that Shibata did, but maybe, you know, just in the interest of everybody's health, cool it with the headbutts a little. I mean, they don't really do anything. If I watch a guy take a headbutt like that, it doesn't do anything more for me than if he took an elbow or something. Right, you know what I mean? right. No, the I Shibata agree. thing was different because we knew the outcome, and it sounded like like brick hitting brick. Yeah. But other than that, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. That's just my take. No, I agree with you. I do agree with you. I think it's it's a, it's it's not needed. It's an unnecessary spot. It'd be different if I saw somebody pull out one of those headbutts and the guy just collapsed. You know what I mean? Like if if, if I were to see Hanare take an Ishi headbutt and just collapse like a ton of bricks and and get pinned that way, then at least the headbutt would be dangerous and mean something. Whereas yeah, now, whereas do now it. we as fans know that it's dangerous because of what happened to Shibata, but it doesn't mean anything in the context of the match because we see a guy take four headbutts and just keep coming, and it's like, uh, okay. Yeah, I, I and I'm the last guy mean, to talk about shit like that. I usually hate when fans sit around and talk about like, oh, well, that move doesn't mean anything anymore because I've seen it so many times. Like, all right, well, what the fuck ever. But on, in this particular instance, nothing, yeah, for the right. most part, we've seen every move how many times, and how can you explain like why one guy will do a pile driver and you can kick out at two, and the other guy can do it, and you can't move for a, for sixty minutes? You know <laughs> right, what I mean? Like, right, right. I get it. I'm just saying like it's an unnecessary risk in this day and age, and it's not doing anything. Like mm-hmm. you said, if they did a headbutt and they made it like, oh my god, the guy's real heart and the match has stopped, it'd be part of the story or something. But they're just doing it to do it. And I and yeah. I have I don't want to see either one of them get hurt. I don't want to see anybody get hurt. No, definitely not. Uh, all right. So I think we said everything we need to say on that unless you have yes, something sir. to add. Nope, I'm good. Then we get on to a match that I actually ha- had a lot of fun watching this match. It was a six man tag. It was Michael Elgin, David Finley and Juice took on Yoshihashi, Jay White and Hiroki Goto. Yeah. The I thought this went, was good. Oh, sorry, yeah. Went 11 no, minutes and 4 seconds. It was a good match. And it, it was surprisingly, it ended with Yoshihashi getting the pin on Finley with hitting Karma. I was really surprised at that, actually. I, really I'm surprised, surprised, too, because they just made uh, went out of their way to make Finley look good, and then they have him lose to Yoshihashi. Yeah. I would have just... Uh, it, maybe it's me, but I would have had... It, I would have had probably the other team win and Yoshihashi eat the pin. But it's if it funny. Wasn't chaos to get even. They probably could have done it with like. I guess they don't want Elgin to take the pin because it looks like El- coming out of this, you get the feeling that Elgin's definitely challenging Goto. Yeah. And now how Tai Chi's going to work into that, we don't know. But Juice looks like he's definitely going against Jay White now. Which is hilarious because we pre- our predictions for this match, you predicted that Finley would get the pin on Yoshihashi with the yeah. Prima Nocta, and I predicted that Juice would take out Jay White with the Pulp Friction. Uh, I think that my idea, it makes total sense why that didn't happen. Um, but with your idea, it is kind of surprising because it, it, it makes a lot of sense that that would be the case. But it almost makes you wonder. It's like, oh, are we getting set up for Yoshihashi to make a run at one of these belts? And even more interestingly, with all of the friction with Jay White and Chaos, does that mean that Yoshihashi at some point is going to be challenging for that U.S. title? Yeah, well, or here's the thing, too. Yeah, I, don't know. I mean, I don't know. But, I mean, we're pretty much on the road now towards an Elgin Goto match for the never open weight. Yeah. Now, whatever they want to do with, with Tai Chi getting involved is fine. But that's where we're heading. 
right? You got, and it definitely looks like, especially after this match, we'll get to it, but Jay White sneaks back in the ring to try to hit Blade Runner on Juice, specifically. Yeah. Which was such Juice, an awesome spot. Oh. It was a great spot. And Juice was able to not take the move and everything. So I get why they did it that way. Which well, kind of, like which, what you're saying, precludes... If you weren't going to do that spot at the end, the logical way to end it would have been Juice getting the pinfall on Jay White to right. set that up. But the but, way they, they wanted to do it afterwards works. But the problem is you, can't, you almost have to have Elgin then or Finley take a pin. Yeah. And they don't want Elgin to take the pin because he's going to go for Goto. So I think it would happen on Finley by default. And who's to say that we won't get a Finley-Yoshihashi match where Finley gets, you know, gets that pinfall back? No, we will, so. we will. But it was like the only way if they wanted to do that spot at the end, it was like the only way they could really get to it. Which was an awesome spot. I love the way that White was like over Finley and he was kind of like, you know, are you okay? You okay? And, and he's standing there and then White just, you know, sneaks into the ring, yeah. grabs Juice, and he grabbed him so perfectly. Like, it was just yeah. such a wonderful setup and execution. I, I, I thought it was great, yeah. So I think the, the biggest thing that I have, like, not an issue with or was surprised at isn't even that Finley ate the pinfall because that, that's how you get to that point at the end of the match. But I was surprised it was just Yoshihashi gave it to him. Like, right. It wouldn't have shocked me if Jay White hit him with Blade Runner, then left, then snuck back in to get Juice. Right. Or Goto hit him with the but whatever. I mean, we're overdwelling on that. But overall, it was a pretty good. It was a good match. Yeah. I enjoyed it. You know, there was a real cool point too where Jay White low bridge Juice when he came over the ropes and he fell to the outside. Then he grabbed him and hit him like posted him into the ring post with his like nuts first. Yeah. Yeah, he you know, picked him re- up and like, oh yeah, it was great. And Don really, Callis had a yeah. line about how like he wasn't like, what was it that uh, he wasn't uh, going to be able to do his cardio workout? Yeah, he night. wasn't going to be able to do his cardio tonight. <laughs> but uh, and I really like the way Jay White does that uh, Saito suplex. Yeah, it looks good. And and again, I always mark down. I, I I overlook him sometimes, but I can't get over the athleticism of Michael Elgin, which usually leads you to say. When I talk about how good Mike Elgin moves for a guy his size. Lucha Elgin. There it is. <laughs> yeah, um, and he's dropped some weight, too. No, I mean, he, he looks he looks good. There, was, looks a, there good. was a point in this where I even dried it down that, like, he did some moves that were so athletic, and then right after it does a move that shows you how much strength he has. Yeah. Because I right. think he did, um... Let's yeah, ask, so, I want to ask you a controversial question here. So, about a year and a half ago or so this time, it really looked like they were they were pushing Elgin to be, like... I mean, you know, intercontinental championship material. Um, and then, you know, the, the the push kind of fell by the wayside. Some things happened. Tanahashi got hurt. They couldn't really go forward with those matches. He got kind of lost in the shuffle a little bit. I felt like he had some incredible matches. His match with Omega at the at the G1 special was freaking brilliant. And who were we talking um, about, Elgin here? Yeah. So uh, I got distracted for like two seconds. But then he, uh, But then he comes back. To the states for a little while, and the story breaks about you know the the potential Things changed. Yeah, exactly. Uh, do you think that that he has a chance of rising as high as he can rise over there? Do you think it's perception of an American fan? Because I have to admit, I loved Michael Elgin. I feel a little uncomfortable talking about him now because of what happened. I don't know how I feel about the fact that I feel uncomfortable about it, but I do. Do you think that that is just one fan, me specifically, having difficulty kind of managing my expectations of where he might go? Or do you think New Japan is perhaps having difficulty managing their expectations, even not having to do with any of the controversy that happened here in the United States? Um, I, I, I think it's probably a combination 
Yeah. Uh, I I don't think you're you're by yourself in the way you feel because there's there's an uneasiness to the whole situation. Um, but I also kind of look at it that unfortunately, and I it, it, here's the problem with a situation like that without going into too much detail. You you didn't really ever get the other side of that story. Yeah. You're getting, but if you. When it comes to situations like that, if you say that we're only getting one side of the story, you sound like you're enabling a bad situation. And like I, I'm sure, I don't think Michael Elgin's as bad as guy as he got presented in that situation. Right. But I'm with you. It's it, there's a, definitely an uneasiness about it enough that it's it's caused problems. I think that going over and spending more time in Japan was a smart is a smart move. Yeah. It's easier for him to go over there and weather the storm out a little bit. And somebody else will do something that'll take that out of our immediate memory, or he'll redeem himself in, with his in-ring work. I just think he came in. I think he's a tough guy to book too, because you know he has all the ability in the ring that you can put him in there, and he can have a five-star match with, with your world champ. But he also is missing a little something in the character department, and I'm not sure what it is. Yeah. So there's a, there's a, there's a lot of factors that go into making Michael Elgin a difficult situation right now. But that being said, I think him being in Japan and maybe challenging a guy like Goto for the never open belt and doing that for a while is probably a good spot for him right now. I agree. Totally agree. I think you're not trying to rush him up at the top of the card. You're putting him down on a spot where you can put him in a feud for a belt. You're getting the most value out of him. You're giving him time, especially over here where he's out of the public eye a little bit, and he can rehab his image a little bit. Yeah. That's that's, that's my take. I don't know. You know, it's easy for me to sit here. I'm a keyboard warrior. You know, <laughs> I don't have anything on the line. But um, I'm also a firm believer, too, that people are innocent until proven guilty. And, I mean, not necessarily a court of law, but you know what I mean. Like, we didn't get all the facts on that. You're getting one person's side of the story. This person could be disgruntled. You don't know. I mean, I I try to stay away from it. Yeah. Because there's no good outcome. And I'm not trying to let him off the hook. I just don't know enough of the details to make a decision. Right. You know, like, it sounds like he should have done more in that situation. But I I don't know. And, And without being able to make a proper decision, it just better for him to be over there and doing what he's doing no that's that's yeah i think that's it's a good good summation so so it, let's get to the meat spot, and potatoes you know? of this show man because yeah. we've got we've got four more matches here and uh for my money now we're really we're really starting to fly here in these last four okay matches. before we get to this match let me explain too that how much sam was into this and we should have talked about this earlier um we talked before before the first night that a lot of times uh, i'm like a lot of other people in the states you can't watch these events live right you have to watch them when you get home from work or whatever it is. Now, there's no reason that a show shouldn't be on their demand basically as soon as it ends, especially one that w- that aired live. I mean, they basically just have to put it there it is. This show, for whatever reason, wasn't available on demand for hours. And when it was, it didn't even, they didn't even put the whole show out. It was, they did it match by match, starting with the main event. But, but the they problem, didn't actually. It actually the first match that was actually put up on their okay, website. Okay, because it said they were going to do it by the main event, right? But it was actually okay. this match, the Suzuki Goon Lij match. Well, then it was the Bullet Club Civil War. Then it was the Osprey Kushida. Then so they it went was, from this point to the end and then backtracked. Is what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, exactly. Okay, because what what happened here is this: 
if you're not watching the show live, you're just pulling up the matches. Unless you're, sometimes it's very easy to pay them out of order. You could, because of the way they did it, you could have very easily spoiled major shit for yourself by playing these out of order. Yeah. In fact, where Sam's texting me, make sure you do not watch those three matches until you watch this. Here's another problem. They didn't have the whole show available on demand, which, and I'm not trying to rag on New Japan, but to me that's unexcusable. All right? In, or inexcusable, I should say. Especially, they were taped with an English commentary. It's not like you're adding it after. Right. You're trying to expand into the United States. This is one of your hottest areas that, for, for, to, to improve your, your viewership and to make new fans. You've got to figure most people, because of the time difference, aren't watching it in the United States live. They're going to watch it on demand, right? Yeah. To not have the show up in its entirety is inexcusable. But then they tweeted stuff. And not just from their account, their Japanese home base account. They were tweeting things on the New Japan World account and the New Japan Global account that were spoiling the show. And on one hand, I get it. Some people did watch the show live, and that's fine. But it was very strange knowing that there were the issues with the upload. And and we can speculate about whether or not it was because there was a holiday, because there was a holiday, or whether it was not because they edited something out, which I cannot imagine with what they edited that they would have had the whole show on. No, enough, right? No, I cannot imagine we'll, for one. We'll second. talk about that at the end of the match. They edited it out basically two seconds. And yeah. to be honest with you, I saw it after it was on demand. So I saw it after the edit happened. You wouldn't even know there was something was edited. No, no. But I'm just saying, like they had matches up that weren't even on demand yet. They tweeted the results to. Now I understand you could have watched it live, but if you don't even have it on demand. Then hours later, in a market where you know it was like it was going off at four in the morning, how could you like? I don't know. It just wasn't smart. Yeah, it wasn't smart thinking. Well, because it's basically it means that we like you know we put ourselves on social media blackout. I did not. I did not touch our our Twitter. I did not go to Reddit. I didn't do anything. No, which until... and it sucks in a way because I'm sure we had people that were tweeting with the show. Right. Stuff that happened, we couldn't watch the show in its entirety, and we couldn't tweet about it. Right. So we're just sitting there, and like you said, at one point, Sam actually had watched it before I did, once they started putting the matches up. He started with this match and had to go back like and catch up later on. He started from this one to the end, where I had stuff going, so I was trying to wait till it was up. We actually had to go to a point where Sam had to watch it just so he could engage with people on our Twitter that were tweeting with us yeah. or retweeting things. And I had to put not only social media blackout, I couldn't even look at our own show's Twitter because we were, we were tweeting stuff back at people that right. I didn't even know. And the thing is, is that one of the things that ended up happening, and I'm not going to try and say that this actually ended up hurting New Japan World subscriptions or anything like that, is that somebody on Reddit actually shared a Daily Motion link that had the live feed on you know that site so you could basically yep. see the show for free you know unedited complete uh anytime you wanted to now that has link has since been taken down which i but applaud they could do that on, on, on a daily motion video in new japan can't even get it on their own server right 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 and i, mean, and I, I think the it. lack of explanation too is the other thing i get that it's a japanese company and that you know what happened right but at the same time, it would be really, really nice if someone, so even if Kevin Kelly was able to like tweet out something and just be like, "Hey guys, you know this got in the way, or this happened, or whatever." But ultimately, it just feels it feels bad form that we don't get any explanation, and that you know some people were waiting in, in, until well, today and, to watch a show that they yeah, potentially already Sam, had spoiled. 
here's the problem, too. Uh, the only thing that they had was on the top of the New Japan World when you wrote it up. It just said right. that the the show wasn't uploaded in its entirety. Blah 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 blah. It was basically telling you they were gonna, but like you couldn't even even if I wanted an explanation, I was terrified to even type it in to see what the explanation was because I was terrified I was gonna get results. Exactly. Like if I typed in wrestling Dantaku into Google to find out what it was, I know the second I click on it, something's gonna pop up. A picture or something that I don't want to see. Exactly. So it was. A, it was a. And like, listen, if they were just tweeting out results in their home base Japanese language Twitter account, I'd say, well, that makes total sense. Right. But like, I don't understand. And I'll tell you what. Like another thing too, and I know it's not their fault, but the last time, the last show, um, what was the last show? I can't even remember. Um, the last major show. Genesis or new new, you know? Uh, no, it's Sakura Genesis. Yes, yeah, right? Genesis. Okay. Yeah. I. And I understand, I, I don't know where the, the line is, how long they should wait to put results up. I, I mean, I think they should use a little common sense and realize a lot of people can't watch it at four in the morning. But I went to work and was on, I, I turned off the notifications for my Twitter and Facebook and everything did not get it ruined. And I got a beep on my phone and I looked down. It was a, oh, I'm sorry, it was the best of the Super, it was the, the New Japan Cup. Because when I looked at my phone, thinking it was a text message, it was a picture of Zack Sabre Jr. holding the trophy, and it was a YouTube video from Ring of Honor. Wow. I was infuriated. Yeah. You know, and I guess it's my own fault, Look, I, I, but I didn't think YouTube would screw it up on me. But, but because sure. I subscribed to their channel, when they put a video out like that, it comes up, and it was like the video wasn't even like, like, oh, we have a winner, and it was just like you have to watch the video. It was the actual... Picture yeah. of them. Now so here's something I, I want to say they, real quick. Draw the line. I, I, here's I know something. We're off of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We and we want to get back into this because we don't want to keep going forever. But one thing that I do want to add real quick, though, and, and and I'm not saying that this has absolutely anything to do with what we're just talking about, but I think that it's worth noting, and we were gonna we should have said something about it at some point, so we might as well just say it here. There were 17 total. Dontaku shows, Road to Dontaku shows, Hino, you know, Kuni shows. Like, if you count all of them, they have 17 shows. Last year, for the same tour, there were nine. So that idea of, of, of overexposure, of, 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 you know, maybe a little too much, I'm not saying that that necessarily had anything to do with these issues, but you gotta think... If you've got all these video crews out there, if you've got all this streaming that you're doing, if you've got all this, and there's no doubt that they handle the technology better than anybody on the face of the planet with the exception of WWE, which is saying something because there are a lot of fucking promotions out there that are trying to do this right now, and sometimes they fail horribly. But you got to figure somewhere along the way, if you're taxing that crew to do 17 shows when last year they did nine like, you're going to have a hiccup somewhere along the way, and it's just a shame that they had that hiccup on what was the biggest show of the tour. Yeah, I mean, it's going to happen. I mean, WWE is the biggest wrestling company in the world, and they're known for their production qualities, and at one point they had an entire pay-per-view go off the air. WCW mistimed the show and had the main event not air on American pay-per-view. Yeah, I mean, that's 20 so years the, ago. but No, but I'm just saying, I, I understand. I'm just saying weird things can happen. Sure. And we're, in, we're in a new world here with these streaming services and having stuff on demand and everything. I get it. I just think it's, it's a mistake that shouldn't have happened. There should have been more explanation, and they have to be a little bit more careful of how they tweet things out 
if they uh, to not spoil it for their American audience. Like yeah. I don't know what the what the the thing is, but like maybe you know you wait you don't tweet about it for twenty four hours. Sure. You don't tweet. You don't. You put out a tweet that doesn't give the results. You like you know you had the the like you have the match between Tanahashi and Okada. You could tweet out, you know, the match was great and we have a winner, and then have to actually click the link to read it. Now here's the I, other I thing that I'll say to that the, though, just to, just to play the opposite side of the fence for a second. And I'm know, not saying I have that's, the answer. That's, you know. that's a very that's a very you know. Uh, centric way of looking at it for American fans. I mean, we're used to being able to get live results for WWE all the time. Like, it's not like they're taking time to not tweet out when people in the UK can't watch a show or people in Japan can't watch oh, a show. Or I, something I know, like that. I know. So, so I think that it's, you know, I, I I get where you're coming from and I agree with you because I think it's a shame and I think that not being able to watch the show as soon as I wanted to watch the show certainly made me, you know, place restrictions on myself that I would not normally place. But I also, you know, let's at least recognize the fact that there are a lot of fans around the world that feel the same way about WWE that oh, we're talking we're about sp- here with New Japan. So I'm spoiled. We're spoiled American you know. fans. I get it. Yeah. But if all I'm trying to make the point to is if, if you're supposed to have a show on demand and it's not, don't tweet the results. If you're putting me in a position where I couldn't have watched it, then don't make it even worse. That's sure. All. Sure. But I, listen, I firmly believe they're going to they're gonna fix whatever the problem was and move on from here. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of moving that, on. Now, that being said, and we got on this tangent because of this match. Yes. We had the six-man, or I'm sorry, the six-match. It was a 30-minute time limit. It was Hiromu, Bushi, Sonata, Evil, and Naito versus El Desperado, Kanemaru, Davey Boyce Jr., Lance Archer, and Minoru Suzuki. Now, the match only went eight minutes and 31 seconds. And to be honest with you, not a ton happens in this match. No, I mean, there's I mean everybody looks good. Everybody looked good. They got their stuff in. But this was at no point like a pay-per-view quality match. I mean, you had Naito doing his, where he spit on Suzuki. Suzuki's yeah. killing him with the knee bar. A lot of fast-paced actions back and forth. Um, there's a point where, like, Ed Desperado throws the ref in front of Romo to get him to stop and then hits him. Um, it, mass chaos ensues. There's a point where it's five-on-one. They're, they're all fighting with Naito. Naito, or I'm sorry, yeah, Hiromo. Naito comes in, hits a Destino out of nowhere, kind of on Kanemaru. And you're like, wow, that match was quick. It was only eight minutes and 31 seconds. Well, the reason that match is quick is because then they get everybody... Suzuki Goon Suzuki leave. You have LIJ. The members of LIJ are leaving. Naito's still in the ring being Naito. The announcers even drew attention to this that, like, I don't think Don Callis called him a glory hog. Yeah. Like, basically letting him, sending his whole team in the back while he soaks it up. So, you're thinking, well, where does this go? Um... Naito's leaves the ring, and, and they did it really well done. And the reason is, I think people had a feeling something was going to happen. Now, I unfortunately, uh, the only thing I got spoiled for me on night two was I saw a picture of Naito in the back, because again, New Japan World sent out um, a YouTube update about some of the it must have been a translated video from the back, and it, it was a picture of Naito in the back covered in blood. So, but that's my own fault. I didn't. I looked at that not realizing that's my fault. But so I knew Naito, if something's going to happen to him. But you're waiting in the ring for something to happen. You're waiting, you're waiting. Then he gets out of the ring. So now I'm confused. I'm thinking something's going to happen to him later in the show. As he's leaving, he gets attacked by a fan. Okay, and at first they did a pretty good job at making it look like it was a real fan attacking him. Yeah. Fans beating the shit out of him. They're growing back. Security's all over the place. He gets him in the ring. He takes off the mask. It's Chris Jericho. But here's the thing I want to and add to that. And he had a funny time taking the mask off. Well, but here's what I want to say about that, actually. 
the mask was on so tight and he did the and he had the black lipstick on and everything that there was a moment of doubt even having read the rumors you know leading up even even tweeting about it on our own account about how you know Jericho is 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 supposed to be in Fukuoka or whatever like there was a moment there where I was just sort of like man is that Jericho it like it, there was enough doubt for one second just because the, he you know the mask was on so damn tight there was no hair sticking out there was no they did a great job of covering yeah, it up yeah you thought now, for a second like they they planted that to swerve into something else right but, now and, it makes sense that Jericho, video, Jericho I was, had an awful time getting the mask off at one point people they almost you hear laughter a little bit yeah but I mean it, it was it was awesome and, and it makes total sense I'm so glad that he you know that, that he's back I, I'm. I think that you know it's a wonderful way to you know to to, to continue the build that was started months and months ago. Yeah, um, there's a payoff. Like, and you, you had to figure that's why you can never trust Jericho on Twitter. He trolls no. the fans and everything. We talked about that in the one episode like that we both thought he was coming back at some point. Um, the funny thing was, even though like he's wearing the Lij man, like the mask and the, and the sweatshirt, even when he rips the mask off and takes the sweatshirt off, he still has an Lij shirt on. But it's he has not a scarf. It's 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 a Los Ingobernables de Jericho shirt. Oh, is that what it was? I yeah. couldn't tell. Oh, so it's an LIJ shirt, but it's not de Japon. It's, it's Jericho. de Jericho. Okay, and so the other thing, the same thing is, you do with the Alpha Club. He's just doing it in this now. Yeah, but in the eye in Jericho is a pen. And on the arm, there's like a list. Like it's like it's 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 a Oh, that's funny. He's he's just he's brilliant. The guy's just brilliant. Um, so but yeah, so he's wearing that. He's beating Naito down a little bit. He, he hits, hits the one-legged code breaker. code breaker. Yeah. So it looks like this is where it gets interesting, too, because it looks like he's going to just beat Naito up, which is kind of what he did at New Beginning. He attacked him. Or not, sorry, uh, New Year's Dash. He, he attacked him, beats him up a little bit, and he gets chased off. He comes back. He gets out of the ring, comes back in with the ring bell. Yes. And he cracks Naito upside the head. Now, now before we go edit. on, before <laughs> we go on, before we go on, the thing that was edited out of the show actually took place prior to the ring bell because Naito was bladed by Red Shoes before Jericho hit him with the ring bell. And so what had happened is that the camera basically did a close-up of Red Shoes blading Naito before he got hit. And you can see, even in the long shot that exists on the stream now, that Naito is already bleeding a little bit when he gets clocked with the ring bell. The other thing that we have to say is but that... if you're not paying a ton of attention, it worked in one regard, because to be honest with you, I didn't know it was Naito, that Red Shoes was going to blade him. I saw the edited version, right? And it happened so fast, I didn't realize he was already bleeding. No. And if you, if you don't see that, he gets hit with the ring bell straight back with his arms out and then he's bleeding all over and so I, it, they did a really good job if you don't miss the first part it makes it look like the ring bell busted him open yeah and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying himself. to be I'm not trying to be you know critical of it no, or anything I like that. I'm just either. trying to I'm just trying to say that that's what you know that that's what happened but it, it's one of those things that if you want to be hyper observant you can see it oh, but yeah. I don't think it took anything away from the moment at all like on, I can be honest with you had I been watching the raw feed and seen the shot where Red Shoes bladed him I probably wouldn't have, like I wouldn't even care then. It's no. the same thing with Omega at Wrestle Kingdom. Like Omega dropped his blade, the, the ref had to pick it up, give it back to him. Omega didn't want it at that point. Decided to wait to blade himself until later in the match. Like if you watch that match closely, like there's there's a story about the blade within the match yeah. basically, and it didn't take 
it didn't take anything away from the match. I don't care. No, because here's I the thing. It's like, I know what they're doing. It's not like, it's not like, it's like I'm going to sit here and be like, oh, holy shit, he got busted open by that. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's no, like come and on. I wasn't being critical of you. I actually think it was the other way around. Because it happened so fast, you're not catching. The, you realize that Naito couldn't have bladed himself. Yeah. The way he falls with his arms out. So it actually, if you're not being super, super observant, it they presented it in a way that it looked like the ring bell really cracked him open. Right. Right. I thought they did a great job with it. So I thought Michael's so, too. busted open. And, and L.I.J. Mean, come running back out. They chase Jericho off. And you look. Know, I, who doesn't like this version of Chris Jericho? Oh, God. This is the so best great. Chris Jericho. It yeah. is. It's Yeah, it is It is the best version of Chris Jericho right now in 2018. There's no doubt. The other thing that I want to say, too, is, look, I... I I understand why some people, you know, even some old school diehards who, you know, used to drag razor blades across their forehead for a living night in and night out are are kind of, you know, are basically against it now. But there is absolutely no doubt whatsoever that used sparingly, used properly, that blood can add so much and it's part of the art form and I and I and I'm so tired of the notion that we have to just say no 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 we can never do that we can never do that I think it's ridiculous and Listen, I think it'd be like making a war movie where nobody ever gets shot or bleeds you're yeah. trying to make it look realistic and I'm with you listen I don't think everybody needs to be running around blading the shit out of themselves like was going on for a while especially like and I was an ECW fan right but you look at the, what, what happened in this situation everybody's takeaway like was Holy shit. Like, Naito's a busted mess. It looked like he got jumped by a punk and beat the shit out of Beat yeah. the fuck down. Yeah. So now now when he wants retribution, it makes it that much more intense. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, And that's the big knock on WWE sometimes is you can't have two guys go in and fight in a steel cage with weapons and, and nobody's busted open. Right. And I'm furthermore, not saying you should bust open all the time, but like, it, you got to make this believable and realistic. Right, and furthermore, the other side of that coin is they've got no problem with Brock Lesnar dropping his elbows on somebody's fucking skull to do a hard way. Real, you know? Yeah, but it's like, are you kidding me? Like, I would, I would rather, as a fan, as as as, as you know, whatever, I would rather see somebody do the job to I'd get juice. Get, yeah, I'll then, that then, was me. I'd rather get a razor blade real quick, one, two, across. I'm yeah. believing Brock Lesnar unloading elbows into my goddamn forehead. Because it's like with that SummerSlam match that Lesnar had with Orton where Jericho, Jericho was backstage yeah. and Jericho flipped out because he he's like, you, you know, and, and the thing is, is, Orton got a concussion from that. Yeah, because he messed it up. Yeah. So it's like, it's so, the, so anyway. Here's the beauty of this too, before we get off topic. I think it's hilarious that we're having this conversation about blood because we're going to talk about something later that yeah. takes this up a notch. Which is perfect because here's the thing. There were some people talking on Reddit about Red Shoes Blade Job on Naito. And you even texted me something about how uh, how he should go to prison for that Blade Job or something for like the, that. Yeah, the one that's coming. Yeah, because here's the thing. It's like Red Shoes does a pretty messy job on Naito. I think it looks perfect. It looks great. I don't think anybody's you know, going to the hospital for this. But it's sort no, of serendipitous. That yeah. we picked one of our classic matches for later because Red Shoes, Red Shoes the Butcher comes out, if you will. Uh, but yeah. anyway, it, w- it was a great moment. It was it had so much drama. It, it's got me incredibly excited to see when Jericho and Naito get yeah. in the ring together. What's I think it's going to be a great match. Blood, blood red equals dollar green, buddy. Yep. You got it. it. Makes, all right. But we've talked everything we need to talk about that. Yeah. Oh, I do. Uh, uh, the one light little touch was right at the end, too. That Naito wouldn't leave on the stretcher when they tried to get it. And then he oh, yeah. threw the stretcher threw it back. Over. It. Oh, it was so great. Loved and then it. Jericho fired a chair. 
Yeah. So there was a lot going on. Then he, then then uh, Naito threw a young lion into the ring and stuff, or into the railing. And so it was a good match. It was a great match. Well, it was a good match. It was a great after. What happened after? Set yeah. up so much. All right, now we're going to get to the uh, some things here. Bullet Club the Civil match. War. Yeah, the Bullet Club Civil War. 30-minute time limit. There's no belts or anything on the line. Tonga Loa, Tama Tonga, Bad Luck Fale, Kota Ibushi, and Kenny Omega take on the team of Nick Jackson, Matt Jackson, Marty Skrull, Hangman Page, and Cody. Now, the interesting thing to me is it only went 8 minutes and 47 seconds. It was kind of a comedy match. Yes. There was some definitely comedy issues in there. Because Skrull comes Marty's out, he goes great. over to the English announce table, and he's like, and he's like, I'm a heavyweight, and I'm going to body slam Bad Luck Fale tonight. It's yeah. like, oh, okay, Marty. <laughs> but you start out, then you get the Young Bucks in there against G.O.D., and they do the um, the handshake fist bump thing. Yeah. So everybody's cool. Um, Cody and Kota are in. They're doing their normal thing. Kota Bushi hits a really nice corkscrew moonsault. That was really nice looking. Um, then you have a weird thing where they tag. They go to tag, and Matt Jackson doesn't want any part of Kota Bushi. Yeah, the Bucks like did not want to go in against Omega or Ibushi at all, which I thought yes. was really cool. It was a nice little part, like a thread that was going through this. You get a point where you got Kenny's in the match versus Marty, and then Kota and Kenny do this really sweet double team move on Marty, where they like they're doing all these double team moves, and then they go for the cl- the cross slash, but the Bucks stop in to stop it. The Bucks yeah. jump up to stop them from doing it to Marty. Yeah. So the, the Bucks are torn here, which is, is just feeding into this story, whole storyline that's been going on for a while. Now you got Kota Bushi goes for a golden triangle on the Cody in the Bucks. Like, he hits that. Um, uh, the, the highlight, though, is bad luck fall. He starts climbing the ring, the ring rubs. Like, he's going to do some kind of jump off. But um, as he's coming up, Marty comes up with the umbrella. Then Marty goes. That's when Marty goes for the body slam, and and Foley falls on top of him. He just yeah. falls. Marty gets him a little bit, and then he just falls. And when he falls back, he lands on him, and there's the three count. Right. So I mean, not a whole lot happened in this match. There were some funny spots, but this is kind of like the last match. This was more about what happened than after. Yeah. In a so, way, in a, in, know, a, in a completely different way, because Cody runs. Cody takes Cody off. Cody takes off, and Kenny and, chases him. <laughs> and Kenny follows him, and then the rest of the Bullet Club gets back together. They do the two-sweet. But the, the to me, the standout moment was Ibushi walking to the back by himself with this look on his face and the way that he was even interacting with the fans, like, you know, clapping hands with the fans and everything, is that he... It, it's almost like he's tired of this and it, yeah. and it played out perfectly in the, the last being the elite episode which I, I wasn't really being the elite episode they didn't even call it that uh but there was all these little just snippets uh, uh and the scene with him and kenny was kenny was sort of you know a little dejected you could tell it's like trying to figure out what the hell am i going to do whereas cody was complete or cody jesus Abushi was completely disinterested on his phone, and so it, it, it plays so wonderfully into this particular moment because you get this idea that Abushi is kind of just over this, whereas Kenny is like, you know, I'm going to get this son of a bitch because you know he's tearing everything apart. It's like at this point, Kenny is is kind of so deep into this rift between the Bullet Club that it's alienating. Kota Ibushi, who he just got back together with. So it's it's, yeah. it's it, the story is is, is great, and 
it leaves you at a point where you're like, okay, and then we're going to see something that happens a little later on in the night that makes you wonder even more how this is going to play out. Exactly. But let's not get ahead of ourselves, because basically, I mean, I don't think there's anything else we need to cover about the Pull Club Civil War match. No. So Except Matt Jackson. Matt Jackson did have a hilarious line where he went up to the English announce table and said, that two suite's going to cost me $150,000. Yeah, and then Don Callis said, that's three days of t-shirt sales for him. Right. <laughs> so... Yeah, he, but how about he said it's going to cost me $150,000 if some stooge is watching it. Right. Uh, so, beautiful. all right, but we get to what was an unbelievable match, in my opinion. Yes. You have the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship match. You have the 80th champion and Will Osprey take on former champion Kushida. Yes. The match went 23 minutes and 46 seconds. And it ended with Osprey pricking up the win via his new finishing move, Stormbreaker. Which, I think we all predicted this. We both had Will yeah. Osprey winning. Yep, we did. But to me, it, this match, and maybe I was wrong, this match wasn't even about who was going to win or who was going to lose. It was just the quality of the match. It was so entertaining to watch this match. Yeah. You know, I, it I, starts I, a little slow, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Like, oh, it, slow. it starts, you know, they're going to build up to it. And, it, and it, you got Kashida's really working that arm, the left arm. You know? Um, so this is going on. You got um. They did a really nice move with with the ref, and Osprey. Um. Then he did it with the cameraman, and Kashida gets kicked. Do you remember that part where he has yeah. him in the? Okay. So then Will Osprey um does a springboard off the guardrail right, and as he does it, Kashida catches him on the fl- the floor right in, in an arm breaker, like a cross arm breaker. Yeah. And, and I mean, and Osprey's doing a great job of selling it. Kashida smacks Will Ospreay in the neck as he's... He takes him, and he smacks his neck right into the turnbuckle pad. Like, yeah. he fires him right in. I mean, that looked vicious, even if he had a normal neck. Yeah. And how great is Osprey's selling? Like, and his he screams. screams like he's getting oh, killed. I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's great. Um, so Kashida keeps working the neck. You got... Um, Will Ospreay does a backflip over the ropes onto Kashida on the outside. That was a sweet move. Um, but what I liked about it, and I'm telling you the highlights here, is I even wrote down, they, they didn't turn this match into a spot fest. No. This wasn't like, I'm going to do a spot, high spot, you do a high spot. There was logic to this. They worked body parts. They were, they were, they, it was a complete wrestling match. It wasn't too, because let's face it, these guys could go out for 23 minutes and just do a spot fest if they really wanted to. Right. They could, you know what I mean? It, and, and, and I'm not bringing this up in a negative context, but, like, you look at the Osprey-Ricochet match. That was a spot fest, the one that everybody talked about, which was great for what it was. This was a different kind of a match. Um, they're both doing their things. It's not a spot fest. Um, now, Osprey goes for the Stormbreaker, but he can't lift him up. No. The, then he does it again, but he can't. Kushida snicks out, but Osprey goes around and hits him with the release, uh, release German. But he's still selling the shit out of his neck. Like, the move... Like, he did the move, but he's in agony because he had to do the move. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so Osprey's selling is, is on, on point here. So then they're fighting on the apron. Um, Osprey hits a kick onto Kushida and hits a DDT on the apron. That right, but before, but before he does that, doesn't he try to go for the Spanish fly and everybody freaks yes. out? Like, the announcers yes. are like, no, don't you dare. Like, yes. it was, but it was so great. Yeah, the yeah. tease. Um, then he does a hurricane, a hurricane run off the top rope right into a pin. So there's a two count. So I'm trying to think here. I, uh, Will Ospreay hits a crazy spinning face buster. I guess this is the best way to describe it. Like, it's the movie where he picks him up 
and he kind of just spins him in midair. But when he lands, he kind of lands face first. So I don't know if it was a planned face buster or what that was. But this next spot was vicious to watch. Will Osprey, they get or, uh, they get caught, they put him in uh, Kushida in the cheeky Nando's kick. Yeah. Oh, like where he ducks yeah. his head. Yeah. And he hit him with eight of them. Yeah. And the thing is, is it's like it was the first awful. one, the, the first the, one looked good. The second one looked good. The third one looked like he kicked his freaking head in. And then he just yeah. fires off a bunch of like rapid fire kicks. And it's like the angle at which Kushida's head was kind of bent, you know, in the turnbuckle or towards the rope. It was just like, my God, like he destroyed this guy, you know, with yeah. this kick. It was, yeah, so, it was brutal. Then he gets him up. He does, I, I, they have it listed as a Flosion 450. Oh, he does yeah. I don't know if the, if if people would know it by better by another name. I don't know how to really describe it. It's the the, the imploding four fifty splash where he hits it, and then that was when Kushida grabbed the rope. Yeah, he gets to the rope. Yeah, because yeah. right after that too, that's when Will Ospreay goes hits the Robinson special. Yep. He goes into this like Oz cutter, but it gets caught into a hoverboard lock. Yeah. Right. Oh. So, oh, so good. Ne- the next move might be my favorite move of the whole not, the whole match. Yeah, he goes for the one man Spanish fly, but it turns it's like a one man Spanish fly slash DDT. It was incredible. I loved that move. Love that. The thing I've is, it's like that could have been a finishing like move. You know what I mean? Like it was brilliant. And I have never once seen that move done like that. Have you? No. No, it was great. Yeah. So then they're, you know, they're doing the knees and elbows and forearms and shit to each other where they're staring each other down and screaming. Then he does this, I guess they call them Kawada, Kawada kicks. Yeah, because it's Toshiaki Kawada used to do this move where, yeah, he would basically grab somebody's head like that when they were bent over and fire off a bunch of, like, shin kicks to their uh, to their head. Yeah, and then they're doing the punch thing back and forth again. Then Kushida starts stomping Will Ospreay's head. Yeah. Like, now it's getting a little nasty, you know? But um, Kushida then, he um, he does a drop kick to the back of Osprey's head. Yep. And, and remember, too, his head and neck are, are hurt. Like, the back of his head. And at this neck. point, haven't they ripped the tape off of themselves? Yeah, they ripped it off each other. Yeah, and they, because they so, had, like, a little slap fest, and yeah, oh, man. it was This is just a great match. It, and, and, I mean, I'm just giving you the, the highlights. I'm not doing it justice. Osprey goes for an ass cutter. And then he ends the match, he goes and he hits the Stormbreaker, his new finishing move. And I don't know, if it's, I'm not saying it's going to replace the Oz Cutter, but it's just it's a, another point where we were talking about, like, with Cody, that they're adding, giving the guy another finisher. So he gets the three count, Kushida leaves the ring, and they're talking about how there's not a blood feud between these guys, there's mutual respect. And then all of a sudden the lights go out. Yeah. And we get you the bone take soldier part promo. Because this is, this is what you were, you hit this nail right on the top of the head. Well, I had I had help. <laughs> oh, I know, but you still you got the right information. Yeah, you know you got it out there. Yeah, and it was awesome. You know, it's weird because I have to admit when when Tamatanga came out and got on the mic, I felt like his promo was a little slow. Um, but ultimately, once the Bone Soldier showed up, got in the ring, it was it was great. It worked like gangbusters. Well, they just, pulled well, the mask first they, off. The, 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 yeah, well, first the lights go out and then the video airs. Right. Which was, I didn't realize that he was going to be there that night. I just thought they were doing what they had done on other nights and run the, the vignette. But the when, only when thing the that video... tipped me off is the fact that Osprey was still in the ring. If Osprey yes. had not, if Osprey had started to leave and the lights went out like that, then I would have been like, oh, they're just playing the vignette. Well, but because he was still in the ring, I was sort of like, oh, oh, they're going to well, do it. 
I thought what they were going to do was he was just in the ring, and then by the time the vignette was over, he was going to be gone, and we'd be setting up for the next match. As soon as the vignette ended and the lights were still dimmed and Osprey was in the the match, or I'm sorry, in the ring, we're like, oh, they're we're going to see Bone Soldier. Yeah. Like, at that point, you know. But, so, yeah, you're right. Tomatonga comes out and does this weird little uh, promo. It was weird. Yeah, but, well, you know. You know, he's got his own style. And then Bone Soldier, and he's, he's taunting Will Ospreay a little bit. Then what's he say? Like, look behind you. He tells him to look behind him, but he calls him something. Yeah. And then and then when he turns around, Bone Soldier's there, and he lays him out. Yeah. And and then Bone Soldier takes off the mask, and it's Taiji Ishimori, which is awesome. And, and the crowd loved, goes ape shit. Um, I loved that. Okay, you're bringing in Taiji Ishimori, right? I thought they would just he would be bone soldier and wrestle with the mask. This way you have this world-class wrestler, but you're not really, you know, cause he's a Noah guy. Right. And that's what they were going to do. I was shocked when Tomatonga unhitches the mask and pulls it off of him, which I loved. Don't be wrong. I loved it, but like, wow, they're actually going to acknowledge that they're, they're, they're going to get rid of the mask. And they call them Taji Ishimori. Yeah. But he's also going to be known as bone soldier. It's a unique thing, but I liked how they did it. I really liked how they did it. And credit to, yeah, to Ghetto for, for bringing a guy in like that and using this pre-existing gimmick that was terrible, using it as a build-up, and then ditching the mask as soon as the guy gets in the ring. Right, right, right. Absolutely. And I have a feeling that, you know, much like some of the other guys we're seeing, like, he'll probably wear the mask to the ring, but then take it off to wrestle or whatever, and, uh, which I think is great. And I, uh, like, I'm just excited to see the match, the matches that we're going to see out of him, because I don't think there's any doubt, like, Ishimori is going to be in the best of the Super Juniors, and we're going to get have, some incredible I have, matches. I, I, I don't want to say I have my doubts, but I wonder if the favorite to win the Super Juniors just changed. I think it did for a lot of people. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think it did for a lot of people. We're going to see, but they're not bringing Ishimori back and putting him in the Bullet Club like this in this big of a spot than to have him fall. He's going to be a, pl- a major player. Yeah, without a doubt. Okay. Without well, we're on the same page with that. But now let's get to the main event of not only the night, of the weekend, and basically of the entire tour. We let's have- do it. The 65th IWGP Heavyweight Champion, Kazuchika Okada, up against seven-time champion Hiroshi Tanahashi with a chance to break Hiroshi Tanahashi's record. They both are tied with 11 consecutive title defenses. So Okada's going for the record 12th title defense, which nobody has ever done in one reign. This match goes 34 minutes and 36 seconds. It's a lengthy match, but not an hour. You know, it's not like one of those. It does end. I'm going to spoil it. I'm going to spoil it here. Okada wins with the Rainmaker. But <laughs> now let's let's do something a little different let's with this match because match. it is a longer match. Let's not let's not let's not go you know move for move. We don't really need to talk go about spots. Like let's that. let's let's talk let's about let's talk about the stuff. overall feel of the match. And yeah. I want to start off by saying that this is by no means the best match that these two guys have had. But I also want to say that it should not have been. And the reason why I'm going to say that is because this match more than. Any just about any other match that I have seen in recent memory tells the story of a torch being passed in such a perfect way. And because it's not just a one-match story, because it's a story that the foundation was laid for years ago and is culminated in this match, not that they won't necessarily meet again, but because this is, this is in my opinion, the final chapter 
of Okada Tanahashi for the title for who is the ace of the promotion. Any match they have after this will be Okada Tanahashi, so it'll be worth watching. But I do not think we are ever going to see a match again where Tanahashi steps into that ring and looks at Okada and, and, and says, I'm the ace of this promotion and you have, to, you have to match me. This was absolutely the moment when Okada surpasses Tanahashi, literally, symbolically, and they told the story perfectly. And the way that Tanahashi fought throughout this match to try to say, I've still got it, and the way that Okada was able to keep coming back, and in the end, beat him with one Rainmaker, is the exclamation point that says, you were better than me six years ago, but now I am better than you, and this is my promotion. And I thought that it told a beautiful story, and it was a perfect cap to that feud. Not that they won't have other matches, but that's it. Uh, two points, two takeaways for me, and um, you had seen the match previous to me. Um, I actually at one point texted you and said, I don't think this is a bad match, but this is a slower match than I was expecting. Then yeah. I texted you right back and said, scrap that, shit just got real. Like yeah. it picked up, it was a different, it was, it was a pacing, and then it went off, the, like it got really intense really fast. Um, but I did text you at one point and said, you know what, it's... It's a great match to watch, but I'm kind of like this sounds silly, but I'm kind of sad watching it because I'm watching Hiroshi Tanahashi. And to me, this feels like his last stand like this is like you said, he's not going to retire. He's not done. But the Hiroshi Tanahashi that has been around is not the same guy anymore. He's not the ace, you know, and like you said, this is I, I honestly after he lost this match, I don't feel we're ever going to see Hiroshi Tanahashi as the IWGP champion again. Yeah, I, I would certainly say I, it's a long I, I, shot. I wouldn't be shocked, but I, I don't think it's going to happen. I think if they were going to give him the belt again, it would have been here. And the reason it would have been here is to not have Okada break his record, just tie it kind of as a, a thank you for Eric. Because, I mean, if you're new to New Japan like like I am, and I didn't know this so I read the book, when Hiroshi Tanahashi came up, it, they were not in good shape. There were some pretty lean years. And um, yeah. he was one of the three people that were tasked to be to save them, him, Nakamura, and Shibata. But, I mean, let's face it, I mean, they all did their part, but Tanahashi led them through the wilderness. There's a reason he's the That's ace right. and has seven title reigns. And there's a reason why he's beloved. But it's almost like his his time has come and now gone. And this is Kazuchika Okada's yeah. company. And, yep. you know, it's, it's just always it's funny when you hear the announcers talking and you hear the crowd. It, it always reminds me of this, this, story, this little anecdote once I heard about, of all things, golf. People look at Jack Nicholson as the, Jack Nicholson, Nicholson, Jack Nichols as the best golfer of all time. And there's always this thing about, like, he's talking to God, and he said, you know, it's, you know, Arnold Palmer, when Arnold Palmer died, they said, you know what, Jack might have been the best of all time, but they're always going to love you more. And when you watch this crowd, (laughs) Okada is the man and everything, but these people love Hiroshi Tanahashi. They love him. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm not saying Okada is getting booed or anything, but I don't know as great as Okada is if he's ever going to have that connection. Yeah, no, I understand it, and he was trying to, but I mean, as in general, I don't think Okada. Yeah. I don't know if he'll ever have that quite the connection to the fans Hiroshi Tanahashi did, and that's a knock on Okada because I don't know if anybody can. Right. Well, and the thing that's more even more remarkable about what you just said is the post match, because 
I think that, like, let's just, like, let's not waste any time. So, post-match, you know, Ghetto does his thing, Okada gets on the mic, does his Okada three things, Okada definitely gets more respectful, though. Oh, yes, he does. He gets a little bit more respectful. He's like, you know, he in fact, at one point, he even calls Tanahashi senpai, which is basically teacher, which I thought was really wonderful. You know, and he, he tempered it with right before that, basically kind of like going from being like, oh, maybe I should respect him more. Maybe not. But then maybe I'll call him senpai. And it's like, oh, that's, yeah. you know, that's pretty cool. And then it gets to the point where he starts going through the list of people he's beaten. And it's like, who should I face next? And there's this moment where it's kind of like, oh, well, he's basically saying, screw all of these guys. None of them deserve another shot. And then he calls out Kenny Omega. And the crowd goes crazy. Because here's the thing about Kenny Omega. Those fans love him. And the yes. thing about the thing that's amazing about Kenny Especially is now. that he is... Yeah, he is connected with that audience in a way that I don't know that any Gaijin has before. And... And so when he calls him out, he calls him out, he's, you know, it's like, I won one, you know, we drew a match, you won one, 60 minutes wasn't enough for us, no time limit. Kenny's like, that sounds great, let's do two out of three. Now, when he first said this, I almost thought, I almost was, because I didn't even jump to the two out of three falls, which I love, by the way, I almost thought, is he talking about doing like a best of three series, like they do three matches? Uh, And then, of course, it was clarified that he meant two out of three falls, and... I I will say it right now. I'm going to go on the record. I'm not going to waste any time here. Kenny Omega is going to win the IWGP Heavyweight Championship at Dominion, and he will bring that belt to the United States at the G1 Special as the champion. He's going to beat Okada. The match might go over an hour. I think it should go over an hour because of the stipulation. I think it goes but over he's going to an beat hour. Him. Yeah, I exactly. I, I think I it's going to go over, even if it only goes over an hour by a couple of minutes. But Kenny Omega yeah. is going to win that belt, and it's going to be it's going to be incredible. So hold on to your hats because that's what's going to happen at Dominion. That's 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 not a prediction. That's a fucking spoiler. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, I totally when they when they made the move, I I did not think he was going to call out Kenny. Because my initial reaction was going to be that Kenny's going to challenge him for the belt at the G1 show in the United States. But this yeah. makes a lot of sense. I think Kenny wins the belt. Because I don't think that now that he's broken the record for title defenses, I don't see the, the, the I, I see the need to get the belt off him now so he can chase it back. Because totally. I think eventually, eventually they want to get him to at least eight title reigns to break that record. I mean, uh, they want to set this up so he has every sure. record there is. But if there's ever been a time to pull the trigger on Kenny, it's right now. You yes. know, you can do a lot of different things, but I, I agree with you. I think Kenny wins, and we can go. We'll talk about this as we get closer to the event because this has been we've been going for a while. But I agree, and I like that they're doing the two out of three falls because that's the old school New Japan way of doing it. When I read that book, a lot of times all title matches in the beginning were two out of three falls. So yeah, and no time limit. There's, there's there's the opportunity here to have an absolute unbelievable match at Dominion. I mean, I'm already hooked. I mean, Dominion, the card for Dominion, if you look at the possibilities, are already look stacked. You know, so we're, we'll yeah. see where we get. Well, yeah. Absolutely. So right now, as of right now, uh, it, it has not been announced officially, but it is looking like Dominion is going to have Kanemaru and Desperado versus Show and Yo for the IWGP Junior Tag Titles, Jay White yes. versus Juice Robinson for the U.S. title, Goto versus Elgin for the Never title. It might even be a three-way with Tai Chi. We'll see. Evil and Sonata versus the Bucks for the tag titles. Osprey versus Ishimori for the junior tag title. Excuse me, IWGP junior title. 
Naito versus Jericho for the Intercontinental title, and Okada versus Omega for the IWGP title in a two out of three fall, no time limit match. And if that's not a freaking blowaway card, I don't know what is. That's insane. Yeah. That is absolutely um, insane. So, so, so there, there, there you have it, man. I mean, that's Dantaku. That's kind of the setup for Dominion. I think that, you know, even looking at the Dominion card and saying what we just said about Omega Okada, that gives you an idea of where we might be going for the Cow Palace. Um, I, 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 you know, I, and of I want course to, we're gonna, um, as we get closer to things, you know, that's what we think now, the initial reaction. And, and a lot of that seems like it's going to happen. But as we get closer, we're going to get even more matches set and everything. But it's, it's an exciting time. I mean, God. There's some yeah, unbelievable I, matches. I could be completely wrong about this, but I think one of the matches that we're going to get at Dominion that has not been announced or teased, and uh, Wilfred actually asked us this on Twitter, what does Coda do at Dominion? Will he even be there or fighting somewhere else? I'm sorry, My was this now at Dominion? Coda, Coda Ibushi. Okay. My prediction, which could be way off, is Ibushi takes on Tanahashi at Dominion. Because I gotta believe that Ibushi gets his win over Tanahashi, uh, and I and I think it's the perfect time for it to happen because I think it could set up Ibushi versus Omega at the Cow Palace for the title. Yeah, there's so many different ways they can go, and they all it's it's great the way they set up. Like my whole like I enjoyed the cards, but the second he called out Kenny Omega, my whole like expectation level went through the roof. Yeah. Because if you're uh, nothing against anybody, there's some amazing workers in New Japan. But if you're gonna, if you're telling to me what two guys give me the best ch- chance for an incredible match, it's Omega and Okada. I mean, they yeah. don't, they never disappoint. You're talking about, like, I'm not even using Meltzer stars in them. They just, they've had amazing, amazing matches. Crazy. Yeah. So no, I know. No. I, I, I completely agree. Speaking of amazing matches. Is that, is oh, this yes. Well, actually, you know what? It, it, it is. But before we do that, actually, real quick, we did have one other question from J.W. Thompson. Oh, good. Um, which, throw him out there. Which I did. Yeah, which I did actually kind of already answer. Uh, but, but you know, I'd like to see if you, if you uh, have anything different from me. Which plus match is most sure likely we... to make? Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say, plus we want to make sure we get his name out there that he sent the question in. Exactly, yeah. So J.W. Thompson, at JWT6577 on Twitter, asks, which match is most likely to main event the Cow Palace? Okada versus Ibushi, Omega versus Ibushi, or Okada versus Jericho? Obviously, my pick is Omega versus Ibushi. What do you say? I'm sorry, run that by me one more time. I, Okada, what, are, what are the choices? Okada versus Ibushi, Omega versus Ibushi, or Okada versus Jericho? Wow. Hmm. Now this is the G1 in America, right? Yeah. Wow. Well, I don't think... Man, I don't know. There's so many different ways they can go with that. Um, Is... I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to say Okada Obushi. Wow. All right. Because I don't think they're going to... I don't know. I, I see the drawbacks to all, like, you know what I mean? It depends on how they want to go. I don't think it's going to be Jericho versus, what did they, they say, Jericho versus Okada? Yeah. That's a possibility. you got to figure Jericho's going to be on the card. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, you would think so. You would think so. Although, 
there's, you know, there's all that speculation about a certain individual from Connecticut getting a little persnickety if he comes to the U.S. and works for another company over here, but whatever. Well, yeah, I don't know. Here's a question for you. Do we get, uh, at the G1 in America, do we get Rey Mysterio versus Juice and Liger? I think so. I think I think so, yeah. I think so, too, because I don't think Ray would have cut that promo that he was coming back and all that unless he meant it. But no. I'm still... And I'm he's still... not signed a contract with WWE. He just he worked the, the Greatest Royal Rumble just on a one-shot basis, so it's not like he's under I'm still, contract. Yeah. I'm still going through this in my head, that question, and I, I'm going to go with Abushi versus Okada. I think the key... Okay. Especially this under the idea that Omega wins the title against Okada. They're not going to give them a rematch right away. I don't think. The only thing I could think of is maybe we get a tag match of Okada and somebody from Chaos versus the Golden Lovers. I just don't think we're going to get a tag match main event for that show. I think because of the size of that building, I think that it just makes the most sense to do Omega Ibushi, to pull the trigger on it. I think the seeds have already been planted. I think it could be, if you want to extend the story, it does not have to be a match about two guys who used to be best friends who now hate each other because Omega got to the mountaintop before Ibushi did. It could still be this friendly contest that ends up devolving into something more, which leads to another match down the road. You know, I mean, there's a lot of different ways that it could go, so I just kind of feel like... Well, I feel I like that, right. I guess, for, for Omega, for Omega to not to be at the top of that card would be a mistake. But I don't necessarily. I don't think that you have to have Abushi versus Okada, and that necessarily that has to be the main event. I think you could have the main event at that card. That could be the second from the top or third from the top. I wouldn't be surprised if they give us a match where like Kenny defends the title against Naito or something on those lines, or a Suzuki or somebody, so he can get a title defense under his belt but still put Kenny in the main event. Yeah, I, maybe. I just I just feel like they need... they they Look, I, I'm not going back on what I said if earlier have, about we need to calm down have, and cool it, but you need to have you need to have a blow-away main event. You need to have one of the biggest main events of the year at the Cow Palace. Now, obviously, it's not going to be bigger than, than the Dominion main event, but I think that you need to have a big main event. And I don't think, and I'm sorry, I don't think Omega Suzuki, as much as I would love to see that match for the title, I don't think that's the match that you put on top of that card well, in order what, to sell what, it to Cow Palace. Let's just say that there's a certain individual in Connecticut that's going to, like you said, persnippity, right? So let's just say we don't get Jericho on U.S. soil. Why not give us a title match between Naito and Omega? That's going to sell. Yeah, I mean that might. And yeah, it keeps him I, away. It keeps the, the him and Ibushi thing going, and it keeps him away from Okada. Yeah, because I would almost rather like keep it away from Ibushi because I'd rather Kenny win the title and then Ibushi win the G one. I now I don't have a problem with that. I think it looks good for the long game, without a doubt, without a doubt. But I just think that I, I think that is it possible you know, that they don't announce the card until they see the ticket sales. And if the ticket sales don't improve, then they do something more dramatic? No, there's no... I mean, look, they weren't going to announce the card until after Dominion, no matter what. So I just feel like... I, I, I kind of feel no, like no, they're No, 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 but I'm just to... saying if it's still in flux, because they're not going to announce it until after Dominion, but the ticket sales could have a... Let's just say ticket sales pick up, and the, the place is already sold out. Then does the likelihood... I... You know what I'm trying to say? Yes, then I think you're right. I think yes, the the the, the maybe the match would change there. Sure, sure. I don't know, but that's a very good I don't point. Know. It's, I, I just don't see 
this whole I, I don't want to see the Okada. I want to basically see Kenny win the belt and and then Ibushi maybe win the G1. And then that underlying friction that they're going to have the the belt or the match weighs on them and that's what splits them up. That makes I a lot have of a sense feeling to me and it's organic. Here, here's the you know what here's the story though. You could still have Omega Ibushi at the Cow Palace and Ibushi could still win the G1. And I think that it kind of, in my opinion, it, that could actually help with the splintering. Because if the Cow Palace is just a friendly athletic contest between two guys who are friends for the richest prize in the game, that turns a little dirty towards the end as somebody gets desperate, but Omega eventually retains. Yeah. And then Ibushi goes into G1, pins Omega in the G1, gets the G1, wins the G1, and then you know challenges a Wrestle Kingdom for the title, and then we have that split because now there's all this hate between the two of them, then you've got a Wrestle here, Kingdom main event that agree, you've been building for fucking ten years. Oh, I, I agree with everything there. The only problem I have with that logic, and I could be wrong, is if you're trying to sell out that building, and I know what you're saying, you need to Omega at the top of the card, right? But don't you want to create something where it's not two friendly guys and we're just doing the best. Don't you want to create something where there's like blood in the water? Like they want to go at it. No, I, no, not I don't. I don't actually. Guys. Not necessarily those two guys, but like if you were to come in, let's just say Omega wasn't on the card for whatever reason. Like, or, or like say Naito had that popularity in America. Naito was an American. You would have Naito Jericho and they want to kill each other now. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if you can sell out. I'm sure you could, but I don't know if you want to make your main event at that show just be like two buddies going to wrestle as you the best guy is. Like, I want to see some underlying tension, even like the, the match they had with the Young Bucks at the Walter Pavilion. It wasn't some we're going to be buddy buddy. There was some, a little bit more underlying tension. Right, and of course, I think that there would be in this match too. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I could be completely wrong. You I'm sure there are a lot see, of people out there that'll disagree be, with me. But we could be really wrong, Sam. But don't be surprised too. And you're going to shake your head and poo-poo this. But don't be shocked that the main event turns out to be Omega and Cody. No, no way. I know. You say no way. I mean, it's. I'm not saying it's probable, but I'm just saying it's possible, especially depending on how this Bullet Club shit plays out. Where at the end of that match, they all seem to be more on the same page. If this turns into them kicking Cody out of the Bullet Club or something, you could absolutely see something happen here. I think they're more likely to kick Kenny out of the Bullet Club than they are Cody at this point. Well, I don't know, but there's so many different things. But the bottom line is we're trying to predict something that's months away. I think, you know... Sure, the best sure. I mean, do. it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. It's gonna be interesting. I mean, we should we should definitely move on. But before we get to our classic match segment, we yeah. need to do what we promised at the top of the show, which is talk about our giveaway here. Um, oh yeah. So the yeah. graciousness of of my co-host Paul O'Malley is going to guarantee one lucky winner of our podcast giveaway a T-shirt, a random T-shirt, and uh, you will receive this T-shirt. Well, the, it's not one hundred percent random. Well, but right, as I was getting ready to it's say. It's not like I'm just one thing I can guarantee you about this t-shirt. The one thing I can guarantee you about this t-shirt though is it will be related to New Japan Pro Wrestling in some fashion. Yes. The, the yeah. bottom line here is this. We are going to give away a t-shirt. It'll a brand new t-shirt. It's not something we own. But basically the reason I can't it's random is whoever wins this, I I want them to email me their size. And depending on what is available when I go to get the shirt, it will dictate what the shirt is. You know exactly. So now, as for the competition itself, but it will be a New Japan wrestler. 
or faction or something yes. like that. It's just not, you know. So as for the competition itself, the we're gonna have one entry per Twitter account and one winner. Uh, and once you've won, you will be ineligible to win one of our giveaways for another year. But it, that's it, okay. guys, if this works, it might be uh, it might be uh, happen more than once. We might do this once a that's month. Right. We might do it even more, depending on how it works. Exactly, and we already we already have a couple more giveaways in 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 the plans. Those are going to happen, you know. Probably we, we've got one that I know we'll probably do in July. So, um, but but in the meantime, for this particular one, one entry per Twitter account and one winner only. They will be drawn at random because what we're going to do here is a little bit different than I think what we'd initially discussed. But what we want you to do is tweet at us uh, with that hashtag KOPW seventy two. And I want you to tweet us your classic match suggestion. And whoever tweets us a classic match suggestion will be entered into the drawing to win the T-shirt. And we will indeed we'll pick one at random. Um, and and then you know we'll get your size, we'll get your address, and then you're going to get a T-shirt in the mail. But uh, we wanted to up the stakes a little bit about engaging with us. So so please uh, shoot us that tweet with your classic match suggestion. Um, and for the purposes of this, obviously, we like it to be a New Japan world so everybody can play along at home if they're not necessarily looking for matches in other ways. Um, but tweet that out to us with hashtag KOPW72, classic match suggestion, and uh, we will pick a winner at random for the, the New Japan Pro Wrestling t-shirt contest. Um, and yeah, we're going to have a lot of fun with it. And like I said, we got more that, that will certainly be happening. Uh, we got a big one uh, that we will announce later along with some other big announcements. Yeah, but, we, we uh, are definitely going to gonna get a, the ball rolling. Yeah, I, I, we do. It does look like, though, later in the year, in the fall, we will have a pretty big giveaway. But we'll get mm-hmm. to that. We can't guarantee without it, but it looks, pro- it looks very promising. Yeah, So. yeah. So stay tuned. Um, but speaking of which, as we as we have now talked for twenty hours, um, let's uh, let's talk about our classic matches here. All right. Well, which one do you want to go through first? We had three selections. Let's we do want to go uh, chronological, chronological or? order. Yeah. Okay. Well, the first one was, and this was um, this was a fan pick, correct? It was indeed. Um, and I will tell you exactly who that fan was. Well, while you looked that up, moment. it was Shinya Hashimoto versus Keiji Muda. Um, it was the G1 final in 1995, I believe. That's correct. Yes, it was the, the final of the G1 in 1995. And um, it was suggested by Reddit user CyberDogMeat. So thank you very much right. for that. I remember his name. Yeah. Um, no, it was. This was a great match. It's a, it's obviously a classic for a lot of reasons. Um, yeah, there's a lot of ground based work in this match, which I like. I, I just, you know sometimes yeah, early it's, on it's especially. nice. Yeah, like sometimes it's nice to have matches that are based, uh, you know, on the ground, especially to start. Um, you know, it's it's amazing when you watch him when he was younger how athletic and fast Muda could be. You know, like you saw him later on after he had his busted knees. You know, from all the moon salts yeah. he did, but. And, uh, you know, obviously he has the the advantage here in athleticism and speed, but Hashimoto definitely has a, a decided advantage in strength. Oh, so, my God, but, yeah. And those they're, kicks they're are e- so, oh. Oh, but they're equally matched. You know, they might not do things equally, but they're equally matched because they're both very good at what they do. And we're talking about two right. legends here of New Japan, you know? 
Um, Without a doubt. Like I said, there was excellent matchworks. I was impressed, too, at some of the drop kicks that Hashimoto hits for a man his size. How he just gets yeah, up without a doubt. It looks effortless. It looks, it looks effortless, you know. Um, we had a great spot in here where where Muto went for the lake or went for the moonsault and missed, and then Hashimoto took him down with his like leg sweep. There was a lot of near falls yeah. in this match. Um, there was one real. There was one point that I loved. It's when Hashimoto hits a running DDT, and it busts open. Yes. Muto had a cut on his head, and the impact of the he got that DDT. So here's an interesting story about Mudo going into uh, this match, which is the the final for that year's G1. He had already wrestled um, uh, a few other matches, and in his match with Masahiro Chono, uh, he got busted open pretty bad. Uh, but it was nothing compared to, and, and, and Paul, you're going to get a kick out of this one, the next match, the match that he had right before this match with Hatton, not right before, but the day before with, with Hashimoto, uh, his match was with none other than the nature boy, Ric Flair. And, uh, that yeah, match, was in there. yeah. And that match was a sort of a make or break because whoever won the match would end up winning their block. Um, but the, the interesting thing is, is Flair had more points at that point cause he was undefeated in the tournament. So it was basically one of those situations where if Flair drew the match, uh, he would move on where Muto would not. So Muto had to win the match. Uh, at one point Flair reopened the cut and Muto was face was just covered in blood, and uh, it was I mean it was brutal, and it was interesting because at that point Muto kind of went from being the KG Muto you, you know sort of ground based fighter uh, who would pull out you know the the moon salt if he needed it uh, to to basically all of a sudden being the great Muda, and and it was a really cool transformation kind of mid match. It worked really well. It was that's also a really good match, but it led into this, which yeah, like you said, he that DDT just reopened that cut, and it was it was it was almost hard to watch because you saw the the bandage start to get soaked red, and there were like little streaks of blood going down Muda's face, and I mean it, it was just added some drama without a doubt. It was just such a great match overall. Yeah, it was a um, real good match, and I'm looking at the like you said the build up for this, which the unique thing about this is there was only eight guys in the tournament that year. Yes, a, a, a lot of tournament. years it was ten, it was a smaller tournament. So what they actually did was it, normally the A block winner and the B block winner face each other in the finals. This year. This year, that year, what they did was they took the top two in each bracket. So, like, the A-block winner went up against the B-block second place and, and vice versa. So you actually had a semifinals where you had KG Muda took on Scott Norton and uh, Masahiro yeah. Chono took on Hashimoto, Shinya Hashimoto. So, I mean, you had Muda, Chono, and Hashimoto all in the, the semifinals of this tournament, which is amazing when you think about it, you know? Yeah. So, um, uh, but yeah, that's how they got to that point. Um, there was a really interesting point, in, like right at the end of this match, where um, Hashimoto picks up Muda for a brain buster, but I don't know if he slipped or if it looks like he just dropped him. It, it looks it's like it doesn't like brain busters. Yeah, I've ever seen. It's bizarre, but um, then yeah, Hashimoto. The match gets to the end. Hashimoto um, climbs up and goes for a diving headbutt, and he misses. And then that's when Muda hits a the goes for the moon salt, and and winds yeah. up winning the match. He winds up pinning him at, I want to say I think it was twenty four minutes and eight seconds. So it was an I excellent match. I'm looking at Wikipedia. Correct, it sure is. Yeah, yeah. So no, it was an excellent right. match. And you know what's nice about it too is it's you're talking about New Japan history there. You know what I mean? Like you're talking about two of the biggest draws 
two of the guys that led them through like uh, some of their four, their big years. And um, so yeah. it's nice, you know, like because last week for the for that the uh, classics, we had a couple more modern matches. We had two different Okada matches, which is great. There's no right or wrong way right. to go about this. It's just that we went from that. Now we're into a match with uh, with Hashimoto and, and Muda. So that was awesome. So I thanks yeah. big thanks to was Cyber Dog Meat for not only giving a, suge- yeah, a suggestion but a good one. Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. And I, you know, it's funny because I had mentioned this last time. I had seen this match before, and I had said at the time, I believe, I mentioned that, uh, I might have said this on Reddit, not on the show, that I it was from a comp tape that I had of Hashimoto, and that was wrong. It was actually from a comp tape of Muda's that I had, um, and, and, and I just had gotten the two mixed up because the Hashimoto one actually had stuff that was from later in his career, um, whereas the Muda one had a lot of stuff from the early mid-'90s. But anyway, regardless, uh, yeah, I mean, it holds up. I hadn't probably seen it in legit probably about 15 years so it was great to go back and watch it again um and uh i I look forward to being able to see more you know of of both of these guys because i'm a huge fan of both and mudo is is probably like in my pantheon of of, of, like japanese professional wrestlers i mean i got to put him at the top of my list not because he's the greatest of all time but because he's the guy you know without him i probably never would have found my way in to you know to japanese wrestling in any way so i just anytime i get to watch him i'm always thrilled well, as far as long as I've known you and we talk wrestling, you've always been a big fan of Muda. Yeah. Muda's always been your yeah. guy. So, now that matches out, we get to Sam's match. Oh, boy. Which, <laughs> oh, boy. We were talking about blood earlier. Let's get to the bloodbath here. So, yeah. that, so Yuji Nagata. Was on, was on the January 4th show from the Tokyo Dome in 2004. Yes. And it was Yuji Nagata taking on Kinsuke Sasaki. Um, and there had been, you know, hate brewing between these guys uh, well, it's for billed a while. As a, the life or death fight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and they it, are ready to kill not, one another. Yeah. This is not for the faint of heart. No. I would definitely no, say that much. All. You know, um, it, and it didn't even go that long. I mean, this match is only 12 no. minutes, I think. Um, yeah, it's not very long at all. They, um, are, they start out, they are killing each other right out of the chute. You know, yeah. and then Sasaki gets, is that how you say it, Sasaki? Yeah. Sasaki gets an arm lock, and before you know it, they're already into chairs and, and kicking chairs off each other. The, Nagata kicks a chair right into Sasaki's face. Like, and yeah. what are we talking about? Two minutes into this match, and he just gets busted. I mean, his face right. is the, the proverbial crimson mask, right? So you're thinking, and so holy the, shit, look at this bloodbath. And then, you're, then you then you haven't even seen anything yet. No, and the thing is, is like, so so it's worth noting here, and it's not, we talked a lot about it earlier, so I'm not trying to beat a dead horse here, because I don't like, I'm not sitting here trying to be cool talking about blade jobs or anything like that, but it is worth noting, because of what we were talking about earlier, that Red Shoes is the one with the blade for both guys, yeah. so he cuts, he cuts Sasaki, and he cuts uh, uh, Nagata, and, you know, he does a good job on Sasaki, like a job where you're just sort of like, oh man, that looks brutal, and, and yeah, wow, it's brutal, he's, but it's, he's really... It's not like he's going to be in the hospital or anything. Then he then exactly. he Nagata. Because Nagata gets thrown into, basically his head gets smashed into the post a couple of times by Sasaki, falls down and then Red Shoes goes over and does the job and oh my god. <laughs> I think I texted you that Red Shoes should have been arrested for assault after this match. 
Yeah, it's brutal. Like the puddle of blood that is even on the mat. But at, at the one ring. point, he picks his head up a little bit. The blood is actually running right out of his head. It looks like yeah. if you put a, sh- a, a sink faucet on low, it's just running yeah. out of him. Like he's moving his head and blood, he's leaving blood trails all over. And I mean, by the middle of this match, not only are these guys both heads covered in blood, their chests are covered in blood, their legs are covered. There's blood all over the trunks, the ring. Then there's there's well, a, there's one, one point. There's a disturbing there's, point in this match. Sensaki bites Nagata's head. All right, yeah. did you catch this one? Then he picks his head yeah. up and spits blood straight up into the air. Like, yeah. guys, come on, man. And, you guys didn't know about AIDS at this point? It's 2004. <laughs> I'm not saying anybody had it, but Jesus. And you don't think that kind of stuff happened? Abdul the Butcher gave a guy, um, what, what did he give a guy? Um, hepatitis. Hepatitis. Yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ. And there's this the other guy's blood in the air. And there's one point, too, where Nagata's, like, you know, down on the mat, and there's literally, like, a puddle of blood coming out of his head. And, I mean, it's... I mean, it's, seriously, this match is brutal. It is not for the faint of heart. Uh, but it's interesting because the match is just damn good. Um, oh, yeah. I'm not a huge and the crazy thing fan of the finish. Yeah, but here's the crazy part, because all the commentaries in Japanese, right? At certain points, they're not pinning each other, and Red Shoes is doing the Ken count. So I'm like, what the hell is going on? Is this like a last man standing match, or can you pin? I don't even know, right? Then it gets to, like, they basically, it it ends, like, I'm not 100% sure. Did he give up, or was it a referee stoppage? It was it was a ref stoppage because um, he never actually taps out, but he also never like passes out. Like I've seen some people say like, oh, yeah, Sasaki passes out. And he's like, no, he doesn't pass out like his head is still up. It's just that the ref just stops the match because he can't he can't escape the hold. He's not trying to escape the hold. It's, you know, it's, yeah. it's kind of it's 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 a leftover because in 2004 they were moving a little bit away from it. They hadn't moved fully away from it, but it's kind of a leftover of the whole, you know, shoot fight era of New Japan where they tried to well, make they were everything into that Valley Tudo stuff. Big time. Yeah. So yeah. So what, I feel like I, mean, I, I got to be honest with you. I got to be honest. With you, I feel like the finish does hurt the mat- match a little bit, and the reason why is because it had felt like such a fight, and then all of a sudden, it's a, you know Nagata puts on the Nagata Lock Four, which is you know for for North American fans, you, you know it probably is Rings of Saturn. He puts on Nagata yeah. Lock Four, and he and he holds it in there for like over a minute. They should have just had and, him pass and, out. Yeah, and, and, and the thing is, I mean, blood is. Pouring out of Nagata's head at this point, you know it's all down his body. It's falling on Sasaki. It's like it's just it's 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 just a gory mess. But uh, but that said, I mean it's still worth watching. Uh, I, I think it's it's one of those matches that you're just you have to see to believe, uh, and it's a testament to how tough both of the guys are. Um, they put on a hell of a show in those twelve. What, what do you rank this on the Muda scale? Oh, <laughs> I mean it's pretty up there. It's probably got to be an eight or a nine. It's it's as bloodier, if not bloodier, than anything I've ever seen in ECW, and that's saying something. Yeah, you know, it might true. not be the most vicious match, but the blood in this is off the charts. Yeah. So, yeah. which I guess that'll bring us to our next next match, which we don't have to worry about anything the, like yeah, that. <laughs> no, we went from one extreme to the other. This was my pick, and I went with the junior because again, I had a fixation with juniors for a while. The junior um, <laughs> title match from Wrestle Kingdom 8. And it was the champion, Prince Divot, who people now know as Finn Balor, defended the belt against one Kota Ibushi. Yes. 
Uh, this was I love this match. You have two guys that know exactly what they're doing. Um, it's a, it's not an overly long match. It's 16 minutes and 12, 22 seconds bell to bell. Um, and you get a little bit of everything. You, you, the match starts out, you get a ton of Bullet Club shenanigans. I mean, they're yeah. distracting Coda. They're beating the shit out of him on the outside. They're distracting the ref and power bomb. Carl Anderson hits him with a power bomb on the apron. And if you watch it, oh. it looks like they screw it up because it looks like it hits way too high on his back. Like yeah. It's almost like right below his neck. But that that's a vicious shot. And this goes on for a while. And then eventually towards the like the I'd say at the two thirds point of the match, the um, they, they toss the bullet club out from ringside. Yeah. Which is a so, huge pop from the crowd. Yeah, it was well done because they, they were able to get them there. And remember this is early on in the Bullet Club. I mean, they had just formed at um the year before. Because this is two thousand and Fourteen. Fourteen. This, this is January of 2014. They had just formed in the late spring, actually at Wrestling Dantaku, of 2013. Yeah. That's why they have the the robes on. So this is first year Bullet Club. So they are, they're 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 not the they're the heel stable. Like yeah. now they're kind of a cool heel and all that, but they, they were complete jerk offs at the time. And um, on the outside, because you had Doc Gallows, Aunt Carl Anderson, Matt Jackson, Nick Jackson, and Tama Tonga, and they're doing a number on Coda. But you're seeing all kinds of cool shit in this match. They're going for their finishers. And they're just two guys that are incredibly athletic, fast, know what they're doing. And they know the psychology of a match. They know how to make you care. They know how to, like, work a crowd, you know. Um, There's one part I love where they wedge a chair in between the ropes, and then Kota Ibushi smacks his head right off the wedge chair, and it goes flying. Yeah. Um, But, I mean, I don't need to go move by move, but it was just... The whole thing's building up towards the end, and then you have Devitt hits his uh, hits the bloody Sunday and only gets a two count. So then he gets he's pissed. He immediately goes to the top rope and hits the coup de gras and still only gets a two count. And you can yeah. you can see the, the the frustration building. So this goes back and forth a little bit more, and then Kota Ibushi hits his last ride, which is exactly what you think is the the power bomb where he lifts him up. Uh, yeah. He only gets a, cor- a two count. Yeah. So then he actually climbs the rope and hits this really cool. cool it's like a corkscrew six thirty senton to, to finally have to pick up the win. But it's it's a it, you know it's your typical uh, not typical but it's a classic junior match with two guys that are, have proceeded to move on from there. Devitt wound yeah. up leaving wound up leaving New Japan and going to WWE where he was the first Universal Champion. Kota's now no longer a junior, but he's tagging, obviously tag teams with Kenny right now, and he's in the midst of one of the biggest stories in New Japan. And uh, Kota's going to be one of the favorites, if not, like, I don't know if he'll be the favorite, but he'll definitely be a name when G1 rolls around that that's going to be in play. Yeah, without so, a doubt. I, you know, I couldn't agree more. I, now so you had, Phoenix, I know you had the, seen the name this of that. match before. Yeah, I had seen this match before. But the name of that move, by the way, that Kota wins the match with is the Phoenix Splash. Um, yeah, so so it's interesting because I, I feel like it's a really, really good match. But I understand the criticism that people level at the match and at Devitt's last run with the belt for the Bullet Club's interference and the level of their interference in the matches. Uh, so I understand where that comes from because I do feel like both men were capable of a better match just one-on-one. Um, yeah, no, I agree. But, but I think, it, to me, and, the, and part of the reason I picked this was, you know, people that are new into this, I want them to see what old-school Bullet Club was. Because it's, right. it's no, completely I, and, and I'm not different trying to five detract. years. Yeah. 
No, I know. I, and I'm not trying to detract from the match, and I'm not trying to, you know, to say that, that it doesn't hold its merit, because I completely agree. I just think that uh, it, it's it's one of those interesting... Like, when we were talking about the previous match where the finish kind of hurts it in a little bit, I think the interference maybe hurts this match a little bit. That said, it's still a great match, and it's yeah, awesome I know to what see you're the saying. If you put I mean, these two... It, if you guys, if you gave these two guys sixteen minutes with no interference and then let them go at it, they'd have probably a better match. But this was part right. of the whole storyline, and in, in, you know, so that's where we were going with it. But yeah, no, I agree. And there's the, yeah. what a great card this was because right after it, you have this was the this was the Wrestle Kingdom where the fans voted because right after the, the the heavyweight title match between Okada and Naito isn't the main event. This is what right. leads to the whole Naito leaving and, and all that angle because they actually voted Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Nakamura for the IC belt, the main event. And this is the yeah. match that happens right before the two of them. Yeah, man. So, but there's the classics for this week. Now, the classics for next week. Do you have a pick? Because I have a pick, and Wilford over at the, U- the NJPW US blog has a pick. I and do I didn't have tell pick, you his pick. I, I think you're going to like his, Joe. And I have a pick, and I, I'm, I'm doing you a solid on this one because I have decided that you do not have to be the one that picks a junior match this time around. Sweet, because <laughs> I didn't. I didn't pick a junior I, match. Wilford did. If you pick the same match I, as Wilford, I'll die. Uh, well, we'll see. We're about to find out. I am picking uh, from... Um, the New Japan G1 Climax 1996, okay, a J-Crown title match between the great Sasuke and boy. Ultimo Dragon. And Ultimo Dragon. Yeah. And what is this from, so 96? We, yeah, it's from 96? Yeah, it's from 96. It is from, let's see here, August we got, Yeah, we'll get 5th. the minute if we know because it's August 5th, 96. So it's on New Japan yep. World. It's great yep, Sasuke versus Ultimo Dragon. Yes, and, and and one thing that I will do this time that I failed to do last time is the links for these matches to New Japan World will be in the show notes. Oh, so just nice, go to the show nice. notes, you can click on the link and go directly we're, to the match that way. We are also going to try to give you the easiest way to find it in case you don't. Like, I, I watch mine on through the Xbox and stuff, but... Um, all right, well, here, I'll give you... What do you want next, my pick or Wilford's pick? Give me your pick. We'll save, we'll save Wilford's for last. All right, my pick, and I picked this for two reasons. One is I was absolutely determined I wasn't picking a junior match, which if you don't, <laughs> if you let me, I'll pick a junior match every time because I love the junior matches. But yeah, I also found this to be relevant. So I picked from 2012, the new beginning on February 12, 2012, the IWGP Heavyweight Championship match, the reigning champion. Hiroshi Tanahashi takes on for the first time as in a title match Kazuchika Okada. Beautiful. I, I picked almost, Okada and Tanahashi's I first title went match. With that. Well, I figured we, we saw how basically we think it's going to end between them. Let's show and and for people that don't know too, this is Okada's first championship win. Yeah. This is and and people don't realize now like if you if you were watching at the time. I don't think you realize how big of an upset this was. Oh, no, no Okada. one, no one thought he was going to win because the thing is, is he'd had a he'd had a shitty match at Wrestle Kingdom that year, and everybody immediately yeah. wrote him off. Who did he wrestle? Like, Yoshihashi. No. Yeah, I think he yeah, wrestled he Yoshihashi because you know, what happened was is he went. He was a young uh, young lion. He went out on excursion, and he went to TNA of all places, 
And they used him so shitty that they actually stopped the working agreement with TNA because of it. They made him basically the Green Hornet sidekick Kato. They just made him O-Kato. And it was a nightmare. But when they brought him back, his first match back, like big match back, was against Yoshihashi at Wrestle Kingdom. And like you said, it sucked. So yeah. not only did not only did people think he wasn't going to win because of that match, it'd be like picking somebody now who just came back from excursion and having them like Hanare and having them win or Finley and having them win the IWGP Championship. But that's exactly right. What but happened. but it would be it would be like that happening after Hanare beat somebody like well Yoshihashi. So so not much has changed. But yeah, it'd be but like, yeah, it'd it'd be would, like yeah. if they brought David Finley back from Excursion. His first match back is against is at Wrestle Kingdom, and he beats Togi Makabe, and then all of us and a shitty match, and then he's going to wrestle for the title and win. And, and if you yeah, but watch at least Makabe, at least Makabe is a former IWGP champion. Well, you know what I, I mean? Know, like at least you know. When you wa- when you watch this match too, watch when it ends. You can it will look beyond the ring and watch the crowd reactions. People yeah. are in shock. Yeah. So, but that was my pick. I figured we'll take it back to the beginning with Okada. So, and then Wilford it. made a very interesting pick. And okay. we'll get to unless there's anything you want to chime in about my pick. Nope, no. I okay. Sums it up great. Let's go. Wilford picked the finals of the 2015 Best of the Super Juniors. It's Kushida versus Kyle O'Reilly. Nice. That's what my buddy Wilford picked. That's an interesting match. Yeah. Out of the box a little bit, which is good. I mean, not that it's a great match. It's a great match. But, you know, he put some thought into it. Let's put it that way. Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. Oh, man. Oh, God. O'Reilly's so great. I love that guy so much. Yeah, who would have thought that we'd have two super two junior matches on the on the classics, and I didn't pick either one of them. <laughs> I mean, yeah, man. Hey, I'm not complaining, right? And it's I don't good. understand why, why I like juniors so much because if you if you know me, I'm nowhere near being a junior. I'm short enough well. to be a junior, but I'd have to drop half my body weight to get down to juniors. <laughs> you know. But that's the classic matches for this week. And uh, now, like we said, next week we're going to review these and we're going to pick somebody. If people put in the suggestions, they can not only get their... Uh, you know what we should do, uh, Sam? What's do you want to make it random? Do you want to make it random who gets a shirt? Or do you want to make it whoever gets the shirt, we also use their match? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's perfect. So there you go. If you submit your suggestion for a classic match and we pick it, you're not only going to get your name read out for picking the classic match, you're also going to get a shirt. Yes. And yeah, and, and obviously when we follow up with you, we'll want to hear some, you know, of your thoughts on the match as well, which we'll, we'll clearly discuss within the context of the show. So, um, yeah. so yeah, we're, we're looking forward uh, to that. We look forward to what you guys have got for us. Remember that's at oh, I got, I got something. I got something. I forgot. Forgot next week. Because we don't have a lot of show to review next week. There's no real events coming up. I don't think the next thing that we really need to talk about is um, the Lionsgate Project 12, and that's not coming up for a little while. So next right. week, we're going to do a pretty uh, a preview episode of the best of the Super Juniors. That's our game plan for next week. We're going to try to – hopefully by then we know everybody that's in the tournament or at least close to, and we're going to preview the whole tournament. But we're going to have a guest, our very first guest yes, on sir. the show. 
now we talk about it all the time and we're working with partnered with this blog but uh wilford over at the new japan u.s blog is actually going to be on the show and he's going to go over the uh the best of super juniors with us yeah so, so it should gonna be a lot exciting. of fun and so wilford's we'll- excited and i don't think he's ever been on a podcast before so yeah, so we'll we'll preview the best of the Super Juniors with Wilfred. We'll um, we'll also talk uh, ever so briefly about New Japan Road, which is the show that airs tomorrow. Um, you've got Suji versus Uemura, uh, Taguchi versus Narita, Tiger Mask and Jushin Liger versus Sho and Yo, uh, Oka and Nagata taking on Yano and Ishii, uh, Umino and Makabe versus Yoshihashi and uh, Hiroki Goto. Uh, then you've got uh, L.I.J. versus Suzuki Goon, which is Hiromu, Bushi, Sonata, Evil, and Naito against Desperado, Kanemaru, Taichi, Izuka, and Suzuki. Uh, and then your main event is going to be Kushida and Hiroshi Tanahashi taking on Ghetto and Kazuchika Okada. That match does not air on New, J- or excuse me, that show does not air on New Japan World, so we're not really. Covering it too much, but figured we'd throw it out there anyway. So be uh, be on the lookout for the results tomorrow afternoon uh, on New Japan's yeah. website. And, and speaking of New Japan World, I just want to let everybody know. I know it's it's a little ways away, but when you get, I, I'm looking at the upcoming schedule for the month. Um, just so everybody knows that not all the shows of the Best of Super Juniors are going to air live. In fact, most of them are going to be on demand only. The, the first two nights and then there's a bunch of and then the last and in between so just plan accordingly uh, you know we'll cover that more in detail but just so you know if you're planning on watching the best of super juniors and you're filling out your schedule most of the shows are on demand now hopefully they yeah. get them on demand and they get them up pretty quick unlike Dantaku but well, in the past, they've also in the past they've usually just uh, uh, uploaded the tournament matches themselves. Um, so you which might is fine to, to be show. honest with. You. Yeah, exactly. Well, and when we cover the the, the, the tournament, we're not going to cover all the shows anyway. Even if they air, we're going to just cover the tournament matches. Right, right. So, um, so yeah. So uh, you got anything else? No, I, I think we covered everything. Um, I think so you know, too. just in general, just excited. I mean, we have. The Super Juniors coming up. Dominion will be here before you know it. We have um, the All In event that we're going to be at at uh, out in Chicago in September. Um, we have the Starcast stuff, which we'll uh, you know be giving information throughout the summer about. We have our first guest on next week. To, I mean, things are going well. Yeah, without a doubt. You know? Without a doubt. I don't know. So. Do you have anything else you want to add? No, no, I'm just going to do the show wrap-up real quick, but uh, I want to thank everybody for listening and uh, remind you to uh, hit that uh, like and subscribe button on iTunes, write us a review, uh, hit us up on Twitter at KOPW72. Um, we always love hearing from you guys, uh, hearing what you have to say, whether it's about the classic matches or questions in general. Obviously, uh, we're also active over on uh, the subreddit in uh, JPW, and um, you can check out our Facebook. We will also have some pages. Patreon news coming up soon. We are going to start a Patreon. Don't worry, we're not going to like put a bunch of stuff behind a paywall or anything like that. No. But there are clearly costs associated yeah, with running just, the podcast, yeah. so we're just going to try just to so offset know, some of that. Yeah, just so people know, we're not going to make money on this. We're just trying to cover some of the out-of-pocket expenses that we're going to incur. Exactly, you know? and and really the most important thing for us is to just uh, to try and bring you the best podcast possible, and we'll always make it worth your while. So um, you know, we'll make sure we will have some fun stuff. And our normal for you our, and, our normal podcast is always going to be free. You know, what yeah. I mean? our oh, yeah, normal exactly. shows are always going to be free. So 
Exactly. Exactly. So, um, so yeah. So, thank everyone so much for listening this week, and uh, we appreciate you sticking with us. And we will certainly be back next week with our best of the Super Juniors preview. Our special guest Wilfred, and uh, we'll drop some more information about what the yeah. future holds for the King of Pro Wrestling Podcast. In the words of Naito, adios. 